Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 98, The Desire to Be Free. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey guys, tonight we're having a good time covering the rest of the free cities that we didn't cover in our last episode. So we're using as our primary source material the world of ice and fire. This time we're covering everything from starting with Pentos on page 266 and then we're ending with Bravos on page 276. So we're covering Pentos, Volantis, and Bravos tonight. Plenty to cover with those three cities. And then we're going to give a little bit of coverage to the mother of all of them, Old Valeria herself. Give a little bit. Mm-hmm. Give a little bit of Valeria. Dun, dun. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Dear Mama. People might be yeah. a, a little bit more familiar with uh, with these areas. Uh, Bravos, of course, in the upper northwest. Mm-hmm. Pentos down there right right along the coast, pretty close to Bravos. Yeah. And Volantis all the way kind of around near Valeria, the nearest to Valeria of the three cities. Um, but still, maybe good to have a map around. Right. Uh, we always recommend Clarkfeld's maps, the World of Ice and Fire maps. Uh, actually work great for these two. I'm looking looking at mine right now. Um, yeah, there's actually a whole map dedicated to Bravos in that Lands of Ice and Fire collection. There is. There is. Yeah, I'm not looking at that one right now. I'm just looking at the bigger map, but mm-hmm. I probably should be. Probably should be. It's a it's a good one. Uh, it shows where all the different ports are and bridges and all that stuff. There's lots of uh, and there's lots of chapter. There's lots of page coverage on these on these free cities. Uh, so it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I I tried to go and read all of the chapters in A Song of Ice and Fire proper that take place in any of these free cities, and I didn't Did finish. Really? Wow. I didn't finish. Yeah, good try. That's bold, oh. man. Oddler. Yeah. Holy cow. Uh, Especially holy... Bravos. Holy crap. Yeah, well, Arya's there for a while. Arya, you Plus get some you Sam, Sam time there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, what, what? I've forgotten now. What are we doing next, Matt? You didn't forget. <laughs> You're just being <laughs> cheeky and alley-ooping <laughs> stuff to me. I'm so excited. Uh-huh. We're going to have some fun, guys. So we're not going to finish our coverage of the World of Ice and Fire. And the reason is, is we just feel like doing something else. How very Davos Fingarian of us. So coming up with episode 99, guys, 99 oh in some time, uh, we are going to be starting with a new series never before heard of in Davos Fingers history called What If. What if, in this case being, what if something in history had been different in the history of Ice and Fire? Our first episode will be titled thus, What if Rhaegar Targaryen had beaten Robert Baratheon at the Trident? So we're going to do a whole episode dedicated to first kind of summarizing what happened with the Battle of the Trident, and then we're going to ask all sorts of questions. What would have happened just if Rhaegar had somehow beaten Robert? What would be different? It's going to be ask crazy, you a, guys. A question because this is confusing to me because what we usually do, our bag is we just read stuff, 
and then we like regurgitate uh-huh. it and then we laugh about it with like some sometimes insightful comedy bits are you telling me that's not what we're doing anymore that's exactly what i'm telling you scott <laughs> <laughs> because we should both be it's terrified. gonna be it's gonna be crazy and i don't even think we fully recognize what we're getting into yet but uh nope. we will <laughs> i'm excited though uh, i'm yeah and so we're gonna be we're gonna be doing that until we decide we don't want to do it anymore um so you know expect more of these what if episodes coming up in the future it would not stun me if when we get to to finishing the outline on this because we've started a little bit but Mm -hmm. if if we get to finishing the outline on this we're like there's too much here and we have to extend it beyond a single two episodes there might be i mean I mean, just considering what would happen to Jon <laughs> yeah. Snow, what would yeah. happen to yeah. Danny and Viserys, what would happen with the North. Like, there's so much. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. We teased enough. Yep. Uh, get excited for it. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Ice and Firecon content. So Ice and Firecon was moved <sighs> to October. But Terra and the smaller Tall Council, depending on how you want to call it, uh, they did yeoman's work. And they put together a bunch of online content for people. There was uh, there was a small council panel. There was uh, a Skelly Night party, which I went to, which was a blast and blew blew my mind for so many emotional reasons. Uh, it was a great time. There were uh, content panels about world building. There was a, a Westeros musical cast talkback. Uh, there was uh, I participated myself in a. Uh, a, a panel called Legends of the Night Fort on Sunday with with friends of the podcast, uh, B Word and, and Chase and, and and Travis from from Planetos Podcast, mm-hmm. and Matt, you and I both uh, hung out on the on the what what, we, what was that called the the creators panel content creators yeah something like that. panel it was it fun it was a hangout yeah but it, it was a blast right we were with Aziz and uh, Yoke Boy and. Lady Gwen from Radio Westeros, San Rixian was on there. Rebecca was And then was our hosting, friend Rebecca yeah. hosting. Yeah, yeah, and, and San Rixian was the crown jewel, really. She was drawing in the background the whole time we were talking. Oh, my gosh. And we everyone need... kind of just just kind of lost focus and just watched her draw sometimes. Oh, and... yeah. I completely stopped paying attention to what was being said. I was just enchanted <laughs> yeah. by her drawing. In fact, we need. she drew a fantastic picture of you and I as oh, yeah, we gotta non-stoner get stoners yeah i need to somehow get it from her i will pay her for it i don't absolutely i would love uh, to artists deserve to pay support that yeah uh and also the may, perhaps perhaps the main event that came from that was the drawing of mark molendor's monkey with a celebratory mark molendor on the show and who is mark molendor scad <laughs> mark molendor is a minor character uh who ended up uh Losing, I believe, an arm and his monkey, I think, at the Battle of the Blackwater, uh, mm-hmm. fighting for Renly's troops. Renly, who had, ex- of course, expired by then. Um, if I'm right, I might be wrong. Am I wrong about that? I don't think so. I, I know he was one of Renly's Rainbow Guard. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, if, if, you, if you didn't get to follow all that content live in the moment, you can go to their YouTube channel, Ice and Firecon. Uh, follow them for sure so you can continue to get in their content because I get the feeling they're going to be doing some more stuff over the next few months that some of us might be a part of. So follow them. 
and you can watch all almost all the stuff we just talked about uh, through their channel there. So so go give it a, give it a look. Yes, indeedy. Uh, and just a reminder, with our Patreon, we're continuing for kind of no charge on our Patreon site right now. Uh, we're just making all the benefits of Patreon available to everybody, which means that our early release, which happens three days before the celebratory Davos Fingers Monday on a Friday, is now the release for everybody. So... Uh, we don't know how long that's going to last. We're just going to kind of see how everything goes. But uh, that's one thing that we can do for everybody. And we're going to do it. So Absolutely. still expect delivery to occur on uh, Friday. Fridays to come. Fridays to come through Patreon. Yep. Uh, speaking of Patreon, uh, we're going to be distributing Films Get Fingered for Kevin Smith's... Um, is it a classic? It's at least a classic for you and me. It's a classic for me. Absolutely. <laughs> mall rats. We're gonna, we've covered clerks in the past. We're going to cover mall rats on a films get fingered. And for those of you that aren't patrons, uh, maybe this will be your first chance to listen to a films get fingered. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But give it give it a listen. We just basically watch movies we love or movies we haven't seen. In some cases, but theater's closed. It's movies we love. And uh, we just talk about them for a while. And sometimes we go deep. We went pretty deep on that clerks one, man. We got into crevices of Randall that I don't even know Randall believes exist. Right. He only bel- he only wishes that people had explored <laughs> those types of crevices on him. All right. Crevices or no, we're moving on. Uh, there is no Davos after dark these days. Um, winds will be, when Winds comes out, and I'm still hanging on to hope that it's later this year, uh, we'll come back to Davos after dark maybe. Uh, but for now, it's anything goes. We'll cover anything from all the books all the places, all the crevices, Randall's or otherwise. Yeah. And if you want to suggest crevices for us to cover, Ooh. please reach Don't. out to us. No. That's Yep. I want to hear them all. Oof. Oof. Every last one. I mean, it's a limited number. Yep. Okay. But I think we can also get creative, too. <laughs> and I know that our Kalisar is creative. but especially especially with these what ifs that we're gonna look we'd love we're gonna look into we'd love to hear ideas from you on what if this had turned out differently we brought Uh, it up on one of those on one of those ice and fire con content things mm -hmm. there were so many ideas floating through the chat people were pretty stoked about it i wish i would have captured them all yeah i suppose we could go look at back at it on youtube that would not that would not be the df way though Mm, no it would not uh, you can reach us more directly than making us go thro- scroll through a chat window uh, at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. We're always on Twitter. That's where we mostly are, at Davos Fingers. We are on Facebook, too. And you can learn more or explore around our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Davos Fingers. Right. All right. Let's, Let's get into what we're actually going to talk about. So if there's one thing we learned last episode, it's that nothing's really free in the free cities. Mm-hmm. From the mysterious past of Lorath, the slave warriors of Norvos, the sinister secrets of Kohor, and the always quarreling Tyrosh, Mir, and Lys, one cannot help but think I've got a bad feeling about this. So in this episode, we take on those final free Final three free cities, where freedom is a gift to some and just a dream to others. One city was built upon the idea of freedom. In another city, there's kind of a feigned freedom, as we'll talk about here in just a sec. 
And in another city, freedom's really in the minority. So over all these cities and beyond, the influence of Mother Valeria weighs heavily on some, lighter upon others, but ever lingering. In today's episode, we'll also see us dipping our toes into Mother Valeria's still sizzling waters. All right, so with that, let's dive into Pentos. There's worse places you could be, but there's also a lot better places you could be. Mm. Quote to kick off the section, Given the risks attendant to the office, not all nobles of Pentos are eager to be chosen to wear the city's crown. Indeed, some have been known to refuse this ancient but perilous honor. What am I talking about? Well, let's see. First of all, <laughs> Pentos is close to Westeros, both geographically and in the fact that early Valyrians who settled in what was then an outpost are thought to have mixed heavily with the Andals who were already established there. Who were they? Well, the Andals are the people that came over to Westeros oh. and conquered the first men. Mm. You know, Andals all over the place. So, but while trade occurs daily between the Seven Kingdoms and Pentos, kind of like Amazon and my house right now, uh, there are a few key differences. The best is the custom of the Prince of Pentos. This, in the words of Dop John, this mother effer right here. <laughs> so there's these 40 families in Pentos, all noble, and from them is selected a prince who serves for life which isn't always as long as you might think. The authority of the prince has diminished over the centuries to the point that it's mostly a ceremonial title. He presides at feasts, he has a great guard and a company palanquin. And as if things couldn't get better, one of his duties is to deflower two maidens once every year, the maid of the sea and the maid of the fields. This dutiful act is meant to ensure continued Pentashi supremacy at both land and sea. This guy's got it all, right? Huh? Huh? No, he doesn't. Because if anything goes wrong, anything at all, famine, war, COVID-19, the prince takes the fall for it. For real. They slit his throat and elect a new prince. I mean, their last war with Bravos went so poorly that the city went through four princes in a single year. Matt, it's so ridiculous. I can't even listen to this without laughing. It's so ridiculous. I, right? I can't even, I can't, I can't. It's, the times are too weird. I can't take it. <laughs> so, I mean, despite the perks during the good times, they probably don't outweigh the, the positive, uh, the negatives for some young men of these noble families. Um, so like all the free cities, with the exception of Bravos, Pentos is and was built upon the backs of slaves. They're just, they're just more sneaky about it in Pentos. Because you see, after their most recent war with Bravos, in which it sounds like they got their butts handed to them, as they did in every war with Bravos, they always lost. A stipulation of the treaty with Bravos... And they beat them so badly that Bravos was actually able to dictate these kinds of terms in their treaty was the abolition of slavery in Pentos. You cannot have slaves in Pentos. <clears throat> the Pentosh, the Pentoshi get around this, sneaky little minxes, by doing what they call they hire on quote unquote free bond servants who are technically free men and women, but who are so indebted to those who employ them 
<clears throat> masters. These masters bill them for for the food that they eat, the clothes that they wear, everything. And that bill is always higher than what they actually pay the free bond servants. So they're essentially enslaving them. I mean, they even they even collar and brand them. It's slavery. It's 100% slavery. Pentos doesn't even try to hide it, it appears. The slave trade is still alive and well, with many sl slave ships simply running up the colors of Lys or Mir when stopped by Bravosi authorities. So they're like, oh no, we're a slave ship from Lys. Look at our flag, see? <sighs> Another provision of their treaty with Bravos is that they cannot have more than 20 warships and cannot hire sellswords, contract with free companies, or field an army outside of their city watch, so outside of their police force. Thus, these sneaky Pentoshi are a fairly conciliatory society because they can't fight. Um, they're always smiling, making deals, but they're also always scheming very underhanded. And uh, that's Pentos, man. Man, the way you put that just brought so many, so many current comparisons to mind. Mm. And I don't know if I have the energy for it. <laughs> okay, so first of all, <laughs> spoiler alert, guys, Scat has the energy for it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to summon it. Man, so, okay, so. Those that are still slaves in the city, it, like, they're not slaves, but they're slaves. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a lot of our, our own country. That's the United States of America, for those of, yep. of you that aren't from, that don't know where we're from. Um, we have a pretty dark history with slavery. Let's say very dark. And let's say not even just dark when there was slavery, but dark ever since in not handling our race relations well. Oh my but, gosh, it's but, it's a, it's an unremovable stain upon our country's history. But but it, but it's almost like we scrubbed it a couple times and gave up too. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like we don't try to fix it really. I mean not 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 really. And so anyway, let, let's focus on the slavery part of it. Even though there's so much wrong, Matt. But okay, so even when it was abolished in our country, most slaves had nowhere to go, right? Just like this. They're, they're like, well, okay, great. I'm not a slave. I have this collar. What do we do now? And I can, can't get a job. What, yeah, what do mm -hmm. I, is that, will anyone hire me? Well, this place might be hiring. Oh, no, he's friends with my master, so he's not going to hire me because he knows my master wants to keep me. Um, same same way. There was, you know, the, the slaves in our country, they had, they had skills in agriculture and farming and, um, you know, various other things, I'm sure. Uh, but, but they had no way to use them. No one was going to hire them. No one was going to take them on. They were stuck, and essentially life got worse for many of them for a long time. And no, I'm not making the argument that we should have continued slavery, but, 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 but like we didn't, we didn't solve the problem. We swung the gavel and said no more slavery, and then like it was just awful. And Bravos has done the same thing here, and they deserve, uh, I don't know, credit, I guess, but also blame for not like making sure that this was carried out in a way that made sense. I don't know. Am I am I taking it too far, blaming Bravos? Yeah, they they definitely just said just do this, and that's it. Yeah, uh, and 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 that's part of the problem with with our country too is that like, even 
when slavery was abolished, all the things that you mentioned. But in addition to that, they were slaves. They were slaves to the way that that white people basically wanted to treat them. And you, even a free man, a free man of color, couldn't couldn't truly be free. He had to act a certain way. He couldn't public. own land, if I remember right, as well. Right. Time. But I mean, even just like socially, they had to act a certain way. They had to be submissive to white people. You know, they had to they had to say the right things in public. They had to turn the other cheek all the time. It was still very much having to act a certain way. And it's, it's despicable and crazy, but. So we have a similar thing here, right? Yep. And And, go ahead. But it, it, all of this even exists in our society today. It does exist still with race. Don't get me wrong. But we even enter into these types of servitudes that we can't get out of when we when we get in over our head buying a car or getting a mortgage on a house that's that's more than what we need or when we get one of those high interest credit cards or get a payday loan. This is us freely entering into in, freely becoming free bond servants, right? Where we're free, but we're not. And so, you know, I caught myself as I, I was asking that question, why would these people even enter into these agreements with their masters? And it's like, obvious, we do that even now and but get ourselves in over our heads. Those contracts, yes, but it goes even further than that, Matt. It goes, we're going to lose a few listeners here, but it goes to the whole social contract that we have in general in our society about I'm going to sign up to work for this employer and they're going to take Mm -hmm. care of me or will they and will the healthcare I get be enough and will that put me in debt to the point where I can't pay for all these other contracts yep healthcare yep Mm -hmm. all of these things they make us slaves is too strong for sure we live in a free society I'm not saying we don't but we live in a society where we are encouraged to partake of things to keep our life comfortable and available. And in doing so, we make ourselves very beholden to that system. And, Absolutely. And captive to it. If something yep. goes wrong, especially, especially medically, the medical thing, man, I know, I mean, I know you, you work in the medical industry, but like we are, if you have a major medical problem, you are screwed in this country. You're done. Yep. You're paying for it forever, even if you have insurance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, we're very lucky that both of us are very lucky for the situations that we're in, for sure. Yep. But, you know, I feel like an asshat even bringing it up, really. But anyway. I mean, it extends so far, too. I've even thinking now, like college educations, right? Yeah. Uh, So many things that we are, like you said, expected to do. Well, to live a good life, you must do that. You must have these kind of benefits and you must have this kind of degree and you must, you know, you got to get a more, you got to own a home, you got to do this. And I think the younger generations are turning that around though. I mean, I, th- I think they see how broken this is. They're certainly asking is. questions. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly asking uh, questions. Yeah. And it's been kind of a slow trickle. Maybe some people might say it's not slow, but it's, it's been a bit of a slow trickle and people uh-huh. just kind of, um, you know, it's just the next tiny step. Like, ah, it's just a tiny step. Ah, it's just the next tiny step. But mm-hmm. it's so broken for those entering now that I think they see it. Um, 
I don't know, man. Right. I'm hoping that this whole tragedy that we're dealing with now will create some real change. And, and and the real problem is that what I just said. I hope it does. Well, we have to make it happen. And I don't know. I don't know if we can do it, man. It's it's hard. We're so we're so used to our creature comforts that I'm I'm not sure we can. I don't think we can. Yep. We've been skating along for so long that it's Were like. Were we talking about Pentos? Uh, what? Were we talking about Pentos? Pentos? <laughs> Pentos. 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 Who's Pentos? Who's Pentos? Pen- Pentos, the, the fresh maker? What? The fresh maker. Hmm. Uh, listen, I, I'm not a super attractive guy, Matt. We've been through this before. You know what I look like. Oh, but, come on. But. But two chicks a year, and it's it's not enough to, to, for for the risk that you're you're taking to become well, a would, prince in that city. I would hope that there's more, and that's just like the bare minimum is that you get at least two. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe not with those gals, right? Obviously, they're maidens. But I mean, I'm just I'm just saying that. Speaking of broken social contracts, this guy is not getting a good deal. No, you well, should. he gets he gets a company car. He gets you know a nice honor guard. Gets to live in relative comfort for like uh, a couple years. Uh huh. I mean, these are princes. They they got a pretty sweet life already. They got a dread getting this call. They're, they get the you know, nobility. They mm-hmm. they got the company car already from their family. They they're living the high life <laughs> at parties and sleeping with exactly. men or women or whatever exactly. if they're choosing however much they uh-huh. want they get that prince call for the city man they're not pleased i don't think that's fact, not a good trade have, for them we we have one character that we're getting to know fairly well in the books right now who did just that right did yes our friend the tattered prince he tattered was prince uh, founded the wind blown yeah yep he so the previous uh, prince of pentos had executed the or the what 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 was i saying the previous prince of pentos had just been executed and the who the man who became the tattered prince gets the call and he's like nope and he i mean to the point where you flee your homeland to join a sellsword company i mean that shows you just how much people do not want to be do not want this job of prince right yeah and a smart move uh, you know, from my from my perspective, I wonder if all right. these princes are like it's gonna be different with me. I'm gonna be oh, the Jaharis of Pentos, and I'm gonna rule for fifty years, and it's gonna be amazing. They and I'm sure all... the magisters talk it up too. Like they're like, we've got yeah. all these plans in place. Things are gonna go great for you, man. We've yeah. you know we've I got your back. These deals. Man. We're talking to people. Yeah, you know if things go wrong. We we got your back. And no, they don't. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, Tattered Prince has made a nice name for himself. He established his own sellsword company, The Windblown, and uh, it's grown into... It, it, I was reading back on it. The Windblown started with just six guys, he being one of them, and now it's a it's a full-blown sellsword company that's pretty well established. So yeah, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end with six guys. <laughs> with the way things are going? <laughs> but, I don't know. I just Marine's going to be a mess. I don't, I don't know. A lot of people are going to live through that. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So 
it's weird like it's this whole country with or this whole city with this rich history and everything but basically the whole the whole section in the world of ice and fire is basically just talking about the prince of pentos there's a little bit more about how they always got their butts kicked by bravos and stuff and the slavery stuff yeah and the slavery but that's essentially it yeah it is a little bit interesting that they're the least Valyrian city, other than other than Bravos, which I think is the least least Valyrian city. Um, yeah, but but they're they're maybe the most related to the Targaryen, uh, well, Targaryen and Targaryen adjacent plots. Uh, you have you know Illyrio, <laughs> if you believe in the theories surrounding him. Uh, you have Danny and Viserys, who not they weren't raised there, but they were protected there for a time. Egg on yeah. the sixth was yeah not raised there, but his plot, uh, his egg was hatched there. If you want egg, egg, brown, egg hatched, get it. Um, you know all, all of those things are are kind of uh, swirling around Pentos, and yet it's it's maybe the least least Valyrian city. Yeah, there's the what they say is that the Pentashi are less protective of their Valyrian blood and more willing to breed with the original inhabitants of the lands they ruled. And that was, like you said, talking about the different Targaryen theories, it feels like it's it's not exactly evidence to certain theories, but they're little nods of the cap that you find in this book, like just little like, you know, tweaking of the nose to uh, some of these things. It made me think of Illyrio and Sarah and the whole theory with Sarah being a descendant of Sarah Targaryen and all of that leading to Aegon the Sixth, like you said, it feels very much like they're saying hey you know these pentashi and valerians they're doing their thing and yeah mm. tweaking by the nose you said yeah careful you're you're gonna get me you're gonna get me expositing hamlet here if you're not careful uh yeah so so you mentioned in your summary um pentos gave up slavery quote unquote they did it <laughs> so they did it in the midst of a basically a series of wars where they like won a rare victory and use mm-hmm. that small victory as like, okay, 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 wait, wait, let's make peace. Okay. Yeah. Like they were so on their heels. They're like, okay, we have a little bit of advantage. Let's make peace and accept whatever terms they take. But, mm-hmm. but really the terms are pretty crazy. That's you mentioned them. Yeah. Only does. 20 warships, mm-hmm. no free country company contracts, no standing army. These feel unfair to me, right? Those are those are harsh penalties to put on a city state. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Bravos knew they could do it, and Pentos knew that Bravos could do it. Yeah, because it's like, what else are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. If you you can agree to this, or we can outright just sack you. I think is yeah. what it came to at that point. My my last note on this section, uh, I don't think it actually means anything. But uh, so that happened that last battle when Pentos, you know, signed up and said, "Okay, no slavery and no ships and all that stuff," happened in roughly two oh nine ninety ninety one years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what else happened in two oh nine? Remind me, the Great Spring Sickness. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of this is kind of like right after uh, the first Duncan Egg novella. Is when all this was happening. Yeah. 
Yeah, time is so weird in these free cities. Some stuff <laughs> happened a thousand years ago, and some stuff seems yeah, like yeah, happened yeah. yesterday. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna find that for sure with Volantis coming up. Oh my gosh, Volantis is terrible. Yeah. Speaking of which, you ready for Volantis? Uh, I had one more note. Sure, great. I remember back when we were talking about Illyrio in our coverage of A Song of Ice and Fire, one of our big questions was, is why would he even be interested in the Seven Kingdoms? Do you remember those discussions? Like, he's already got it so made in the shade. I think we talked about it with Rago Draws, too. He's like, why would... Even with Danny. Why would she... Yeah, why would she even want to come back? Like... He's got yeah, I mean, with her, the there's like a, a there's like a family thing, right? That that drives mm-hmm. her. But 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 if you right. put that like, maybe she should even put that aside. Like, what what's the draw? They feel backwards mm-hmm. compared to some of these cities, to be honest. Right. Like, almost like stepping back in time. Pentos some, has in like, some ways. In, in Pentos, Illyrio has it seems everything he could want. Like, what what yeah. could he even gain by going to the Seven Kingdoms? Yeah. Some contracts the, are written in ink, Matt. Yep. But um, I'm wondering if uh, with these restrictions that they have is that Pentos is constantly on its heels pretty much. They can't go out and conquer new lands if they wanted to, right? They 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 have to they have to survive by making deals right they allow calls like call drogo to have yep. mansions in their city just to keep him at bay right yep yep um so i'm it made me start to wonder if maybe illyrio mm. thinks if i can kind of puppet control westeros i can kind of use westeros as Big puppets Alan. to yeah. get what i want you know what i want you know what i mean like yeah Maybe I'm just throwing this out there. If I wanted Tyrosh, I can't go and conquer Tyrosh right now because I don't have a standing army. But if Westeros I am the puppet funny. master behind Westeros, I could use them to achieve those ends. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that gave me some insight as to maybe why he wants to get into Westeros is so that he can use them for whatever he wants to use them for. I can see all that. I don't know. It makes sense. No, it makes sense. You're right. They're kind of stuck. They're stuck in a place where they will never get bigger. They will only get smaller, probably. Because if you're not growing, you're dying. That's a that's a business lesson, I think. Somewhere in some book, somewhere that I didn't read. Um <laughs> yeah, so good. so so yeah, they can he can use if he I mean specifically if he gets Aegon the sixth on the throne and he can talk to him. And be like, hey, can you come just take care of Bravos for me? Or Tyrosh? Right. Or Lise? Just come mm-hmm. handle that. You owe me. I raised you. Blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Or or like, they could do this. Or even with Varric. Like, oh, oh, man. Building theory, Scad. All Alive. right. It's like we did. Is it better, is, is it better or worse than the maze theory? No, it's nothing's better than the maze theory. That or my the world gonna... is millions of years old theory. <laughs> this is going to like 
I mean, that theory is going to ride us to stardom and success in the A Song of Ice and Fire fandom for years and generations to come. But this one's not even that big. But this is where Varys comes in handy and the little team of Illyrio and Varys comes in handy because now Varys, say they get Aegon Six on the throne, you got the Master of Whisperers, Varys there, whispering in his ear, hey, Tyrosh is doing this and this and this and this. We might want to get out ahead of it and attack them, right? And so they don't even have to tell him you owe me. They just have Varys whisper it. Yeah. It's like, hey, my people tell me, you know, there's no evidence of this yet, except my little birds who are always right are whispering that this is going to happen. We might want to get out ahead of this, buddy. Yeah. Take over things now. And It adds up. I like it. Yep. Yep. All right. On to Volantis. Do we have let's get to this go? one over with. Yeah, let's just get this one over with. Do, do we, can we just skip it and go straight to Bravos? It's late. Guys, Volantis freaking sucks. It sucks. Yeah. It is the suckiest of suck. You want to read the quote for me? Or do you want me yeah. to do it? Let's just, we've, we've kind of established this thing of us reading our own, of the, our own quotes for our own section. So go for it. Okay. Volantis, with its long bridge and black walls and huge harbor, ranks amongst the great cities of the world. Does it, though? <laughs> Volantis is the oldest of the free cities. It sits uh, almost, and it also sits the most southeasterly, if you will. It's the closest to uh, to old Valeria. Mm-hmm. Um, it's built on the backs of slaves. It still maintains that trade and lifestyle. While remaining a power, more powerful in both trade and war, it is built where the rowing empties into the summer sea, and even the newer parts are hundreds of years old also uh we got another labyrinth not really the maze makers don't get too excited in that uh but yeah it's it, the, the city of the, the city inside the black walls of volantis is a it's just full of endless wines and palaces and courtyards bridges and temples towers and cellars i felt a little bit like this in rome when i went it just felt like there were a lot of just kind of back alleys and stuff and all of a sudden you're in a courtyard and you're like which angle did i just take to get here and where am i in a relation to where i was 20 minutes ago kind of a that's a feel i kind of got in rome when i was there so bridges <laughs> temples towers cellars all these things kind of just a, a nest of humanity uh in there and surrounded by these black walls and those black walls valeria herself raised uh with their dragons 200 feet tall fused stone wide enough for six chariots to ride abreast. Uh, and That's again, wild that, to me, that, man. That black stone that we've we've heard so much about that made like roads and other places. Um, a few black stone. Uh, and that's that's some big black wall, Matt. Why is yeah, it there? that's wild to me. It's huge. It's giant. 200 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've got some notes later about, about how big that is, just for context. Why is it there? Okay. Well, Volantis was an early military outpost for Valeria, and it needed to be strong. This was kind of the first place Valeria expanded to and was like, okay, this place needs to be like an outpost for us and be strong and, and defend our outer lands, right? So uh, it just doesn't keep out enemies, though. It keeps out everybody. Everybody. Only those who can trace their blood to old Valeria can live within the walls or, you know, if they're invited by people, like friends of friends kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This has its origins of the fact that early on it was just a military outpost. That was all that lived there inside the dense walls. But two cities grew around those walls. On the eastern bank of the Rhoyne, a city swelled with trade and inns and stables and all sorts of businesses. And on the west, 
well, more businesses and stuff, but maybe less savory elements are found. Corruption held sway. And the two are connected by the Long Bridge. Yeah, they are. You get more into the Long Bridge here. It was mm. built because the Triarchs, uh, we'll get to what those are in a minute, they got sick. <laughs> they basically built this huge fucking bridge because they got sick of having to cross the Roin every time they need to bring the lawlessness to heal, which happened, you know, fairly frequently. Uh-huh. It took 40 years and millions of honors. Honors are what they call their money there. Uh, however, now they can, you know, inflict their rule with ease. Uh, so, yay for the long bridge. Yeah, Regarding guess. religion, uh, the shadow cities outside the walls are mostly dominated by the Lord of Light. Uh, inside the walls, many still keep to the old gods of Valyria. An interesting term that we'll come back to. The Lord of Light has one of the biggest temples in the world on the eastern banks of the Rhone in Volantis. Three times bigger, this temple, than the Sept of Dania. Everybody's a slave inside, also. All of them. They're bought as children and trained to be priests and serve the faith. Some of them trained to be warriors, known as the Fiery Hand. Uh, and that, that outfit has a thousand fingers on that hand at all times. So no more or no less than a thousand members of the Fiery Hand. Everybody operating in that temple is a slave. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, you might wonder why no, no city sat here on this awesome location before. Or whether you do or not, I, I wonder. Um, we don't really get an answer, but we do know that uh, Volantis, when it rose, other cities had to fall. Uh, specifically the Roinar, their whole culture. Uh, you know, Volantis eventually came into conflict with the Roinar. Um, the Dragon Lords of Illyria coming to their aid and ensuring that Volantis came out on top in this struggle. And they did, uh, leading to the eventual downfall of the Roinar and the flight of their people. Uh, that's the whole Nymeria and her 10,000 ships story. Um, and that's pretty much the end of this section, which we had called uh, the history of Volantis. Got more to cover on Volantis, but maybe we just talk about this section for a little bit. First of all, I, I, I promised some reference on the 200 feet tall. Um, for those of you that have had the, the, the pleasure of visiting Notre Dame before it was burned, and, or maybe it's even recovered now, I don't know. Um, hmm. It's about 200 feet tall. Um, so imagine black walls, fused stone, surrounding up and an down. entire city, straight up and down, as tall as Notre Dame. I'll tell you, Notre Dame, if you've seen pictures from far away, it doesn't look like it's that tall. But when you're standing at the bottom, it is impressive. Yeah. Did I, did I ever tell you about the time I went to Harvard with my company? Uh, no. I don't know if it's worth telling. It's not. I... It's not really worth telling. I'll just I'll make it very quick. Uh, it was right when Notre Dame Notre Dame was burning. Uh, Notre Dame was burning, sorry. Mm-hmm. And we were there for virtual reality stuff. And I, I'm really involved with virtual reality in my company. And mm-hmm. um, they have a, a huge lab there at, at Harvard. And uh, one of the things they have is just this giant screen. And one of the things they showed us was on that giant screen, somebody playing Assassin's Creed and climbing up part of that game. I guess one of the versions is... They've got Notre Dame and the guys climbing up there and running around. Oh wow! The heights <laughs> on this giant, like surround screen of like you know, crazy. Um, yeah, it, it was pretty cool. 
Um, overall, the trip was interesting, but um, it was interesting to see kind of the whole city from from that view um, on top of the roof of Notre Dame, which you know you don't really get to do, but this thief in the game can do it. Um, wow! But uh, yeah, it was cool. Uh, so yeah, huge black walls the size of Notre Dame surrounding the whole city. That's awesome. I just looked it up, and uh, closer to home for you and I, the Salt Lake Temple, the Mormon Temple here, is 210 feet tall. All right. So, yeah. All right. At its highest spire. At its highest spire. So perch yeah. yourself up there, like uh, like King Kong. <laughs> yeah, but tall and so wide, that's what's crazy to me. Yes, six six chariots mm. wide. It's thick, baby. It's a lot. Um, Gross. Necromancers mingled freely on the western bank of the Rhoyne. Yeah. I just thought it was... We, we get this term, necromancers, a reasonable amount in this series. Especially As in it, the world of ice and fire. Yes. Well, okay. So, so now you're you're calling out maybe Ellie and Linda. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. But do they do they just mean do they just mean the fire and the ice zombies, or do they mean something else? Are they talking about cat? Are they talking about Barrack? Are they talking about other things? That's a great question. Because necromancy is basically magic involving like, you're communicating with dead things, right? Communicating with dead or bringing the dead summoning to life. spirits, yeah, yeah or bo- bodies even, or you know, like beings, yeah, like like the necromancer in the Hobbit that leads to Sauron. Um, yes, that's a good question. Are they just referring? So say that again. Are they just referring to? Well, it said the text just says necromancers mingled freely, and the, the only uh-huh. reason I bring it up is because it says that outside in these in these cities that surround the walls, um, it says it says that the Lord of Light kind of dominates. And so I wondered. I was going to say, yeah, that's what history landed for me. Go ahead. Well, you just just if he's referring to that, like necromancers of the Lord of Light that can give the kiss. Uh, Kiss right. Of fire. Is that what they call it? Thoros is who I'm thinking of. Kiss yeah. of life. Thoros yeah. bringing Barrack back. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. So maybe that's just all they're referring to, or whether there's something darker. And we talk about necromancers in Ashai, but we have also Mel from Ashai. So maybe it all ties together in that way. And that's I wonder if say it ties necromancy, together. but that's really what they're talking about. Yeah, that's a good point. That kind of goes with the one biggish point that I had on this section. Ooh, go for it. Um, which is in regards to Melisandre. Yeah. Uh, I thought of her, you know, as they're talking about the slaves in this great temple and the types of slaves that they mentioned are temple prostitutes. Mm. And so I started to wonder what, what exactly does a temple prostitute do? I don't remember reading that. It's just in there in the list of, you know, slave soldiers, da 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 da, da yeah, temple it. prostitutes. I saw right, right on it. Yeah. <laughs> what does a temple prostitute do? 
and you know it doesn't say they They rub right up on it (laughs) all the time um and i guess the any money that is paid goes to the religion right goes to the temple Uh, so i couldn't help but think of of melisandre or melanie lot seven and her shadow make baby making powers and how it We've made the point before on the cast that her creation of shadow assassins is not equal to her her relore powers, right? They don't come from the same place, right? I think we've I think we've theorized that, yeah. Because there's uh, shadow binding occurs in a shy. It seems what what it seems to be implied is shadow binding is very ancient and dark magic and. You know, it it seems like that's its own thing. And then there's Lord of Light stuff. Melisandre's an interesting character because she combines the two. She was sold as a slave to the Lord of Light, to R'hllor, very early on as a child. But then it also says that she spent time in Ashai, which leads yep. me to believe that she that she figured out all this stuff as she's kind of combining these two worlds. Um and so it just got me thinking about this shadow baby making stuff and how it seems to be sexual in nature. It's never outright stated in the text, but it's heavily implied, for example, that yeah. to create the shadow baby that killed Renly, Melisandre had sex with Stannis. And there was some sort of, and it wasn't just normal sex, it was some kind of ceremony that involved sexual intercourse. Right. So I'm talking a lot right now. It's because I'm trying to still figure it out. It came to me today as I was kind of looking over some things. But I wonder if birthing shadow assassins is something that Melisandre kind of figured out on her own. Because we don't have any other instances of shadow assassins that I know of. And I looked a little bit. I think I looked enough. In the text. As far as we know, Melisandre is the only one that can do it, right? Yeah. So, as far as we know, if Melisandre is the only one that's created Shadow Babies, and I'm not saying that she is, but she's the only one that we know about in the text, I wonder if it's something that she figured out on her own of some way combining Shadow Binding with these things that she maybe learned as a temple prostitute in the Temple of R'hllor. In other words, mixing the sexual with the shadow binding to her own advantage. Um, I found the quote that she explains where she explains to Davos kind of how it worked with Stannis. And she says, shadows only live when given birth by light and the King's fires burn so low. I dare not draw off anymore to make another son. It might well kill him. Then she says to Davos, she comes on to him with another man though, a man whose flames still burn hot and high. Um, and she, she said, if you truly wish to serve your King's cause, come to my chamber one night, I could give you pleasure, pleasure such as you've never known. And with your life fire I could make. And so you can kind of see how she's combining the fire, the Lord of light stuff with the shadow binding. And I'm wondering if that's something that's unique to Melisandre, that she was able to figure out how to marry the two. And if some of that came from her time as a temple prostitute, if she was indeed that, and also then from her studies later on in Ashai. I don't know. Yeah. 
yeah, we, we don't actually know whether she was a temple prostitute. At least I, we don't. I, I don't know that. Um, mm-hmm. She was, you know, she, she does serve her lore. She's a priestess of her lore. As the text says in this chapter, there's lots of things to serve her lore. Um, we don't know, just to be very clear, we don't know that she was in Volantis. Could have been, she could have just always been from the Shire. In fact, the wiki says she's uh, hails from the city of the Shire. I don't even know what that means. And that she yeah. came to Dragonstone, quote unquote, on her own. What kind of priest, what kind of priest or priestess of a god comes somewhere and enacts this thing on their own? Which I think only really supports your point. It almost feels like she's some sort of rogue agent that's figured out some secrets and is trying to, you know, uh, solve the plot on her own, right? And. It made me think what you what you were saying earlier uh, made me think, you know, with the shadows and, and combining that with the lore. One of the names for Azora High is Eldric Shadow Chaser, mm-hmm. and I wonder if I wonder if that points to your theory a little bit that these things are tied together, the shadow binding, and the Lord of Light stuff, the, you know, the light is what causes the shadow. All of these things are related, and they all originated are, from the same place. Yeah, they originated from the same place, and maybe Melisandre is one of the first or one of the only people to kind of tie them back together, right? Um, right. And 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 bring them, bring them together in in power, right? Yep. Yeah. I, I think it goes along with what you're saying a little from. bit. Right. Yeah, she was sold. It's it, the only thing is she was sold to a red temple. It doesn't say like the red temple, and I assume there's one. there's more than there's more than one. Um, no, there's one in Bravos. Yep, they're all over the place, kind of. So I don't know that it was the one in Volantis, but uh, she definitely served as some sort of slave in one for at least but, a while. But, but, but how did she point... come out of that slavery? Exactly. At some point, she got some sort of either assignment or autonomy to go to Ashai, unless that temple that we're talking about was in Ashai. But based on what we read about Ashai, it doesn't sound like there would be a temple to the Lord of Light there. Temple, really. yeah. Um, so she got autonomy to go there, or got sent there on a mission by the Lord of Light. And again, then, again, the, the language is very interesting. You know that it says she travels to dragonstone on her own mm-hmm. slaves don't do things on their own they do what their yep. masters tell them to do nor does she really operate like a slave so she's got some autonomy somewhere and yeah maybe, maybe she's figured out some of the game you know yep yep yeah. she also doesn't have one of the flame tattoos uh she could be hiding it with the crown right but uh right she didn't have one of the flame tattoos either. So it's super interesting just how she's been able to marry those two kind of powers and maybe access some greater secrets that connect the two. Yeah. 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 And may- and maybe were those were those secrets always meant to be married and it's just right. been kind of lost in the sands of time. Over time. Yeah. The 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 Relore servants have lost the shadow binding component of something they're supposed to know. Kind, in kind which of like case, the, did she the, rediscover the Night's something? Yeah, and she's discovered it, and kind of like the Night's Watch has lost the plot with fighting the others. They've just they've just forgotten these things. It's been too long. Yep. 
Um, Love it. Yeah. Uh, where to go? Uh, got some things. The walls. One of the long, the long bridge. One of the nine wonders made by man according to Lomas. Uh, this is like, this is like the thing if you're in Volantis. This and, and the black walls. These are the things like you make sure to go see and take a selfie on, right? As your <laughs> on your senior trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I already mentioned yeah. my trip to Europe earlier in the cast, but like I, I frequently describe my trip to Europe as climbing, climbing things to look down upon them. Like <laughs> I, I spent most of my trip in Europe climbing up stuff, and then like looking down on the city. <laughs> but like that's Whoa, what the most of the trip. Amazing. I lost I lost twenty pounds on that trip despite eating gelato like a fucking fiend. Uh, when, how old How oldish were you? Were you like college age? This is 2010, so it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was right right before we had kids and, and stuff. Yeah. Um anyway, so the, the Long Bridge sounds sounds like a site. Um, you know, un, unrivaled in the world, basically. Didn't it say that Lomas Longstrider didn't he put Named that in his one book? of the nine wonders made by man, yeah. Okay, how many there's not just nine. Okay. I know, it feels like how we get many one, versions of this like list of nine every episode? <laughs> yeah. Nine time, nine in every year. He picks nine new ones because nine every freaking place. Yep, nine times, Mrs. Bueller. Nine times. Because uh, yeah, nine. That's, how uh, many nine? Uh, are these the same old gods that the people inside the city are worshiping that the first one worshipped? Or are these different old gods? I'm going to say different. Yeah. But that might go back to one of those things, Scott, that we've talked about a lot and we've even brought it up today. Was there some sort of connection initially? Yeah. Right? I think of Blood Raven now being a tree, white skin, red eyes, and everything. Yep. If there was some sort of connection between. What became the Valyrians and those old gods back then? Be interesting to find out more. In which case, maybe. To answer yeah, I mean, is is there something here about the first men and the Valyrians working together against the Long Night? Something. You know, some some I don't know. I. We we don't get a lot about Valyrians, but nope. it, it's just it struck me they use the term old gods the same way. Um, I don't know if it was capitalized the same way that it was the more passive, descriptive old gods. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, it just struck me. Food for thought, I guess. Yeah, something to think you about, got, guys. You got anything else for this section? Um, no. We'll put it in the All right, next let's one. move on. Yeah. Slaves of Volantis. Go for it. Slavery in Volantis. The quote being, the custom in Volantis is that the faces of all slaves are to be tattooed, marked for life to show their status, and carrying that burden of the past, even if they are freed. How despicable is that? Yeah, it's awful. So whether inside the black walls with old blood or out amongst the commoners, one thing you will never not see in Volantis is slaves. They outnumber free men five to one. Five to one. Never tell me the odds. 
don't <laughs> let the slave like those are crazy. That's a crazy ratio. It's and nuts. like the quote says, if slavery weren't enough, the Volantines take it one horrific step further, tattooing the faces of their slaves according to the type of labor that they're assigned to perform. So if you're a slave soldier, you get a green, you get green tiger stripes tattooed on your face. If you shovel elephant crap in the streets, you get tattoos of flies on your face. If you're a fool or a jester, motley like patch face. If you're a driver of a cart, you have a wagon wheel. You get the point. Thus, even if you are eventually freed, you carry the distinction of your station for the rest of your life. It's the worst. So while five slaves get tattoos, one man has a say in their government. <laughs> for every five, yep. there's one. Every year, three Well, but not even, not even that, right? Because only landowners vote. So, landowners, yes. So I suppose there's non-landowners that probably um, have slaves. I would think. Yep. I, I mean, if you assume that not everyone owns land, well, there's a lot. There's a lot of way the percentages could go. I guess if the landowners right. all have thousands of slaves, that makes up for all the people in the streets that don't have any slaves. But I kind of imagine mm-hmm. there are people that don't own land that have slaves, shop owners and things like shop that. Shop owners, business or, owners, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. But uh, every year, so they have elections once a year, and three triarchs are elected by the voice of the people, and they share in the rule of the city. These three are mostly chosen, almost always, from two competing factions in the government: the elephants and the tigers. Both are progressive, but while the platform of the elephants encourages progress through peaceful trade and innovation, the tigers favor conquest and growth via subjugation. They want to go out and take. Um, After the doom of Valyria, clear back all them years ago, Volantis stepped right up and claimed itself the natural successor of the Valyrian Empire. Uh, and that only lasted long enough for the other free cities to band together and bring their older sister down a few notches. Um, yeah. During what's called the Century of Blood. Uh, since that time, the elephants in the government have dominated the annual elections. However, progress has been made throughout history under tiger leadership, where they've gained dominion of such smaller towns you can find them on your maps if you look at them as Volantheris, Valisar, Sahoris. Um, so you've seen success if you want to call it success amongst the elephants and the tigers but I think I, I didn't write this down so Scad correct me but I believe at the time of A Song of Ice and Fire the elephants have been in power for something like 15 straight years where they've it's had the majority so there's been two elephants and a tiger it's way way more than that it's 300 okay what was i thinking with the 15 i read somewhere 15 okay uh thank you it was something else i'm pretty sure about 300 maybe it was one particular guy had been elected 15 times oh yes that's true yes maybe that's what i'm thinking of yes anyways that's why I write everything down, Matt. There's so many times where I read it and I'm like, I'm going to remember that. And I don't. Um, that's it. It's a strange piece, but it seems to work for them. The elephants and the tigers uh, 
it's mostly transitions of power and everything are, are peaceful. Their elections are fairly peaceful times. The, um, the actual campaigning gets a little wild, but when power changes hand, it, it, it appears to happen cordially enough. Yeah, so here, here's a section about the timing. Um, yes, please. Volantis asserted his right to rule over the other Valyrian colonies throughout the world. Such was the might of the first daughter, that for a time she succeeded in establishing hegemony over several of the other free cities during the century's blood. Eventually, the Volantine Empire collapsed of its own weight, brought down by an alliance of the sister cities that still remained free and rebellion of those that had been subdued. Since that time, the elephants, the more peaceable of the Volantine factions, have dominated the annual choosing and the office of Trium. Uh, and why I know that's 300 years now, I can't remember. Well, it's because the doom happened 400, 400 years, years before ago. the events of A Song of Ice and Fire. So then if you've got a century of blood. Right. So that'd be where you have Yeah, I think I, you're right. I think I was on. assuming that that happened at the very end of the century of blood. Yeah. Yeah. So 300 up to this point. Yeah, makes sense. Yep. Okay, so pretty much since Aegon's conquest um, in Westeros time. Yes, correct. Uh, this, let's talk about this whole thing while we're kind of still on the subject. Elephants and tigers. Um, yeah, here's the quote. Though the process strikes many outsiders as chaotic to the point of madness, Power passes peacefully enough on most occasions. Um, he talks about partisans of various candidates and of the two factions rally on behalf of their chosen leaders, dispensing favors to the populace. What does that sound like, Scott? <laughs> it's, it's too close. Too close. Too close, isn't it? Yeah. Um. And of course, having three triarchs means there will always be a majority. Uh, one one difference, uh, one thing where it's like, oh, the Volantines got this right. Women can vote. Yeah, as long as they're landowners. <clears throat> yeah, of course, of course. That's yeah. that's the overall. You gotta you gotta meet that requirement. But yeah, it's um, it's also noted that uh, you know it's been three hundred years, but Makoro tells us on the Iron Victory, uh, mm. the, the ship, the Iron Victory, mm -hmm. that he's seen it in his flames that the Tigers are now on top. Right. Yeah. Let's see if I've got the quote here. And wow. while you I dig that it. quote there out. There it is. Oh, go ahead. Um, well, it's actually not, it's not him. Um, it, but I think it's along the same lines of the point you're going to make. So if it's not, just disregard what I said. But uh, there's Tyrion in a easy-to-forget conversation with a customs officer in Volantis named Kavo. I know I forgot about it. Where <laughs> Kavo reveals to Tyrion, he says, Behind the Black Wall, lords of ancient blood sleep poorly, listening as their kitchen slaves sharpen their long knives. Slaves grow our food. Actually, this is more with slave uprising so this has nothing to do with your quote so maybe i'll come back to it okay well i i want to make that point too later but um you know it just it it, it underscores a lot of the feeling around marine of gotta stop danny she is wrecking our entire yeah. way of life yep elephants yep. you've had a good run 
Tiger's got to stop this shit because I value mm-hmm. my slavery. Right? Okay, that does go exactly with that. Yep. And uh, oh, so oh yeah, so it does kind of go. They they see they see the slaves sharpening their knives and they're like, wait a minute, we got to get this, we got to get this slavery yeah. thing back on track, or our whole way of life is ending. Is probably Aha. what that's alluding to, right? Yeah, just, yeah. The rest of the uh, the quote actually goes along exactly with what you're saying. Here, I was thinking I was getting you off topic, and I'm actually supporting it. Um, I'll finish the quote. Well, I'll start it over. Behind the black wall, lords of ancient blood sleep poorly, listening as their kitchen slaves sharpen their long knives. Slaves grow our food, clean our streets, teach our young. They guard our walls, row our galleys, fight our battles. And now when they look east, they see this young queen shining from afar, this breaker of chains. The old blood cannot suffer that. And poor men hate her too. Even the vilest beggar stands higher than a slave. This dragon queen would rob him of that consolation. Whoa. So so basically... And and the poorest slave doesn't get a vote, but 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 all those other people also have a lot to lose if slavery comes tumbling down, and this is right. why, I mean, people that hate Danny or 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 what she's trying to accomplish need to read that that passage because, and you know, I had my run-ins with Danny supporters during the Song of Madness, but, uh, what she's doing is revolutionary for a huge part of the world. Volantis mm-hmm. is a huge city full of thousands and thousands of slaves. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing this. They're hearing their masters talk about it. And yep. she's trying to bring the kind of change that they need. And anybody that looks at Danny and, you know, Caesar as a murderer and all these things, like maybe, maybe she's going to crack. Maybe these things are going to happen. We don't know. Okay. Maybe. The, the signs, as, 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 as Brenna B. Fish, Jeff has, has told me many times, the signs point that way for sure of her kind of losing it and, and cracking. But mm-hmm. her intent is good. And you have to look at people for their intentions. Yep. Absolutely. And the, the fact that we get her POV obviously helps with that because we sure. know what her intention is. Yeah, we're not just absolutely. guessing at it like we were absolutely. with like we are with some other characters. We yep. know exactly what she's trying to do. Uh, I was reading a, a thing by Stephen Atwell. Man, that guy's smart, Scad. <laughs> he is yeah, so freaking smart. I read his yeah. stuff and I'm like, how do you pull all this stuff? He's so great at pulling in stuff from the real world and applying yeah, it to a, a Song of Ice and Fire. And it's just like, oh my gosh, man. I can't even imagine the stuff you have in your brain. Uh, and obviously he probably does a ton of research, but even the fact that he knows where to research and what to research is just amazing to me. But yeah, he, he, he's making the point about the, 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 the slavery population and that huge ratio of slave to free men and yeah. talking about how the free men half in talking about the, the tattooed faces in particular, the freemen have to make clear the distinction of who is slave and who is free, or they risk losing all of their power. And he says, um, through such permanent, uh, this is a quote directly from Atwell, uh, through such permanent alteration, meaning the face tattoos, 
the Volantines ensure that no freedman can sneak into the voting booth or ever aspire to office or social respectability or in any way obscure the line between the two classes. Wild to think about and just shows the despicableness of that act. Like even if one day you get you buy your freedom or earn your freedom, it won't mean anything. Because everyone will always know that you are a slave or were a slave. It's it's just a way of uh, it's just it's just so despicable the idea of just grinding these people down. Right. Um, removing all hope it's it's uh you know aside from the fact that the art uh of the face tattoos is amazing the way they've drawn these people in 269 uh, other than that it's completely despicable uh, mm-hmm. act like you said meant to suppress uh not just your current life but your future uh, crush all hope yep. yeah all hope of, of something better um yeah, it was well said by by Stephen, of course, as as usual. Um, I, don't, I don't have a ton more on this section. Um, I, I just have one thing kind of strike me when I was talking about Volantis and, and kind of trying to take over after Valeria fell. I started thinking mm-hmm. about what what that meant in in the fall of Valeria. Like, I'm kind of stunned there aren't more dragonstones out. More like people that posts. Yeah. Well, just vision or not, you know, daughter amazing amazing vision or not. People that are just like, yeah, you know what? I'm tired of digging this mountain for witches. I'm gonna take mm-hmm. my few dragons and I'm gonna take my family and we're gonna go just live here. Right. I'm, I'm just surprised there aren't more of them out there. Like, we're supposed to believe the Targaryens are the only ones that thought, like, yeah, might be good to get out and live on our own. Uh yep. Basically. So what kept them around? Because it seemed like it seemed like life in Valyria among the rich, which the lords, the dragon riders and stuff was kind yeah. of toxic. Yeah. Like they're always we're gonna, we're gonna, quarreling. And yeah, I think we're going to cover that when we get to Valyria, too. Right. But yeah, Maybe I, we'll I save it for then. But yeah, I probably shouldn't have brought it up at all. I just. That's fine. Yeah. It just surprises me that, that none of those families wanted to get away and, like, you know, go live on a beach somewhere with their dragons. And the, the mm-hmm. Targaryens is really all we get. Yeah. Nobody and, was on vacation they only when, left the mountains, because of that. when the mountains exploded. Nobody was on vacation. Like, nobody? <laughs> they say a couple, right? But yeah. that they rumor. Yeah. All right. You got anything in, else for this in, section? In fact, I've got a small theory on that one, too. Ooh. But... Now or later? Uh, later. Okay. All right. Should we uh, should we go ahead and thank well, our patrons? Well, this is gross, but I was Uh-oh, just like, yeah. how George even describes Volantis, just to oh. uh, sum this up. Like Tyrion describes it as rich, rank, smelling of flowers, fish, and dung, and I love how he mixes. Yeah, the, t- the things that smell good with the things that smell bad. It's 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 lipstick on a pig. This city is. Well, uh, sometimes sometimes flowers don't smell good. They can be like cloying, you know, like 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 mm-hmm. too sweet. The ones that are dying. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm. Yep. Well, this one is an even better description. It's from the, uh, I believe this is the Merchant's Man chapter with um, Quentin. He describes it as rich and ripe and rotted. The Volantis covered the mouth of the Roin like a warm, wet kiss. Isn't that gross? Isn't that just gross, gross, kind of? (laughs) Rich and ripe and rotten is the three, the you know, kind of the three states of a fruit, right? Yeah, it's like like good point. They're all it's all at once. Mm -hmm. He's kind of saying, and a big wet kiss. It's like, well, yeah, it's a kiss, but it's also sloppy and not what you want. Yeah, it's like that kiss from the great aunt you see at Thanksgiving. That's just disgusting. I don't have one of those, but I'll take your word for it. Mm-hmm. May you never, especially if she starts looking for your crevices. Okay, too far. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Randall. Right. <laughs> Let's thank our patrons. <laughs> Let's thank our patrons for being with us this this long time. Oh my uh, First, gosh. our dirty cab driver level. We got Lady Fat Ass Red, Jeff, Archmaster June. You live the lesser boxes. Uh, calling you gib and ghost chase killer the bard of legends aaron m cat spearborn and mr joey red shirt in black the reach around level b word the queen beyond the wall and on our team on level we always have lisa the queen of gifts and beauty thank you everyone for your support thank uh, you yeah. as well thank you for for being with us this whole time and uh we greatly appreciate it Right. True blood riders. We love having you in the Kalasar. All right. We're going to jump right into the origins of Bravos. Let's do it. Start with a quote. <clears throat> Originally founded by escaped slaves, its humble beginnings were rooted in nothing more than a desire to be free. For a great part of its early history, its secret status made it of little consequence in the wider world. But in time it grew, eventually emerging as a power without rivals. So, <clears throat> Bravos can be found in a giant lagoon on the most northwestern point of Essos. It is the youngest, wealthiest, and most powerful of the three cities, and it is the last on the list that we will cover here. Also, guys, it's kind of just an awesome place, I think. Yeah. My, my opinion, you know, unfiltered. It was founded by escaped slaves from Valyria who successfully hid the city's presence from the rest of the world for about 100 years. These slaves seized control of a group of Valyrian ships bound for Sothorios, turned them around, and sailed basically as far away as they could in the other direction. Uh, their actual destination was foretold by moon singers of the Jogos Nai. You guys remember the Jogos Nai from a few episodes ago with the pointy heads? Yeah, uh, they, pre- they, predicted, <laughs> they predicted it would be in a distant lagoon behind a wall of pine-clad hills and sea stones. And sea stones. No, that can't be right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pine-clad hills and sea stones. It is right. Wow. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> stones in where the th- sea, you know. Where the frequent fogs would help to hide the refugees from the eyes of dragon riders, which they were, of course, living in fear of. Now, because the Valyrians took slaves of all kinds to do all sorts of things, there were sailors, leaders, craftsmen, you know, slavesmen to do all sorts of things, soldiers, cooks, people of all kinds on these ships. It was basically the perfect seed for a successful colony. They had everything they needed, every type of person they needed. And because these varied people hailed from varied places with many gods, 
Brabus was set up in the beginning to have open worship, law enacted to make sure none would be the official religion of the land. Similarly, since they came from slavery, it became the law of Brabus that no man, woman, or child in Brabus should ever be a slave, thrall, or bondsman. That became its first law, actually, and a motivating factor for fighting in many wars. Now, while the area might not have looked super inviting at first, it's actually kind of the perfect place to set up. Its waters are teeming with fish and crustaceans. Uh, it's well protected, and the surrounding wood provides tons of raw materials for the creation of their new city. It remained hidden, as I said earlier. Uh, it took great care to say that, stay that way. They, hid, they dyed their sails a deep purple uh, to hide their original identities and carried fake maps and charts which pointed to different points of origin um, you know, when they were doing their trading with other people. Mostly that was with Ib and, and with the Seven Kingdoms. Um, this place is governed by the Sea Lord of Bravos. Uh, this ruler is chosen by magistrates and key holders of the city. Maybe a little bit more on key holders later. Uh, and what a city, uh, really, to govern. Religious freedom, the most prestigious fleet of warships in the world, a massive defense system, including a colossus guarding entrance to the lagoon, a city nearly as flush with waterways as streets, an economy and mercantile distribution system second to none. Man, what a place. And keeping all secrets. Amazing. Well, they got bored of keeping it a secret. 111 years after its founding, the, the then sea lord Uthero Zalin uncovered the existence of Bravos to the wide world, sent ships far and wide with announcements, and asked everyone and anyone to celebrate the founding of the city 111 years ago. They were clever about it too, though. They didn't just send the announcements. They sent the Iron Bank out to buy off those Valyrian families who might have financial or honor at stake and having lost those slaves 111 years ago when Bravos was founded. For their part, though, to be honest, the Valyrians seem to have little interest in all these escaped slaves. So the unveiling of Bravos kind of went off without a hitch. Almost too perfect. Almost deus ex machina style. Uh-oh. Uh-oh what? No, I'm just saying uh-oh to your statement of how perfect. A little too perfect. Oh, sometimes George just makes these things too perfect. I find it a little hard to believe that the Valerians weren't, you know, even even though they would be sons of sons of sons at this point, that they're not a little bit upset by the, you know, the fact that these guys escaped them. And, you know, I don't I, I doubt it would have brought financial ruin to their house or anything, but I'm sure that was a tale that was told. Like, oh, those slaves were lost. Ah. Right. I'm just surprised. That yeah, they Definitely some pride. I'm trying to think if I'd care about something that happened a hundred years ago. It's a good point. It's a long time. Uh, early 1900s. 1920. Now you're around right. World War One. Yeah. I mean, if it ago. was if it was a great insult to my family, maybe I would. But you know what? It's mm -hmm. a good point. Maybe not. Yeah. And plus, you know, they did pay them. They paid them off basically and said, "Hey, here, here you go for your trouble." Not for the people, mind you. They didn't pay for the people, just for the ships. And the boats the we took, yeah. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. What a cool place. Yeah. Uh, let's see. 
Um, the Moon Singers were the ones that predicted this, and I'm just wondering on a meta level, what's what like what's with that? What's the connection? Like the Jogos Nai are basically nothing in the story of Ice and Fire. Like yeah. if they weren't mentioned in the world of Ice and Fire, they'd be mentioned like nowhere else. So why why was George like, you know what? I'm gonna give the Bravos prophecy to the Jogos Nai. I found myself wondering that. Like, yeah. In, so in regard, yeah. like, as opposed to like anyone else, I don't know but why the Jogos and I got that one. No, it's a good point. It's a little weird. I mean, um, they're they're nearly a footnote in in the section, uh, you know, about the Far East, right? Um, mm-hmm. The you know the Moon Singers are greatly respected in their own community for sure, and, and perhaps should be, um, but it seems kind of like it seems kind of like this is the biggest thing like culturally and um, I don't know, life alteringly for others that they ever did. For sure. For so, sure. Yeah. It is a little weird. Yeah. Why, like why they choose that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Good question. I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. I don't know that anyone does, but was he just like, you know what? I'm going to give this one to the Jogos Nai. I'm going to give him something <laughs> in the story. Or what, me... was it an, Was it one of those Elio and Linda tells? It may be. You know what? I want to talk about Jogos Nai a little more. You got, you know, we're going to throw you a bone. You're going to get the Bravos prophecy. We'll give you that one. But... Can, I, can I ask you a question? Well, uh, you bet. <laughs> do, do, do snails normally secrete these super valuable color dyes and stuff because george is leaning on that post again here yeah and bravos we had a blood rider and i'm really sorry blood rider for not remembering which of you said this that talked about i think it might have been on facebook sent us something about real world snails and dye and stuff like that yeah so it's a real uh, thing. Like a, a Mediterranean sea snail. But hmm. I just looked it up. There's a dye called Tyrian dye. Tyrian, but spelled with an A. T-I-Y-T-Y-R-I-A-N that comes from a Mediterranean sea snail. The mucus of a Mediterranean sea snail. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting connection. Just thought it was interesting that he that he went that he went there again for the Bravo Sea, yeah, dying their sails with their own unique sea snail. That works. That worked for Tyrash. You know what? We're gonna do that again. Let's just go for <laughs> I it. I liked that whole snail thing. <laughs> there are some instances. Ah, I'm gonna come off as as accusing George or Elio and Linda of being lazy, but like there is a passage back in the Volantis section where they're talking about the great oval of fused stone where it's basically and i only noticed this because i read the world of ice and fire passage twice and then i was going through and reading the like i said the chapters in a song of ice and fire the description of the 200 foot high wall is almost verbatim in the world of ice and fire and the merchant's man chapter oh really like it's almost like they copy and pasted it out of the merchant's man and put it into the world of ice and fire that's funny (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's a little wild i mean i guess it kind of makes sense 
why not? They're 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 just trying to they're just trying to connect the dots in some places. So I got tie the world together. Which is connect it the way it's already being connected. But yeah, yeah. Or I get I get you. Smacks like a, a little bit of laziness, maybe. Yep. Anyways, you know what sounds cool to me? This uncloaking holiday. It sounds super fun. <laughs> yeah, it's like a what? It's like a week, I think. Ten days of partying. Yeah. To commemorate the ten century, or not ten centuries, the the century. Yeah. Um. Ten days, and then they just like all get together, and they're all wearing masks, and then they all take off their masks at the same time and have this big party. That sounds like super cool to me. But... Masquerade. Mm-hmm. This sounds awesome. Uh, yeah. I have never been to a masquerade, and I would like to. Well, sounds maybe. fun. That would be fun. That could be an ice and fire con activity that we do an uncloaking party. Obviously, we can't go the full ten days. What? <laughs> what are you gonna uncloak? You heard me. I heard you. But that's that's what the that's what the holiday's called. It's the uncloaking. I know. But we but just do masks, their city. Not... If we we're to do a celebration of fire we have to uncloak something. Besides, you know, like our bodies. Everything. Oh boy. Please just keep it to faces. <laughs> I love faces you men fun. at Ice and Firecon, but there are very few of you manly bodies that I care to see all of. Yeah, keep pretending. Uh, uh, <laughs> reminds me of Venice, obviously, Bravos. Uh, For sure. i hitting my yeah. European trip a lot on this episode. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful city that was. I don't know. I, I for for whatever reason I don't have a lot on this. Um, great, no. great, just just a great story, right? You get these slaves, they take things into their own hands, and they develop a beautiful city. Great. Yeah, going from nothing, more than the desire to be free, <clears throat> episode title, episode to a title. world, to a ver- to a world powerhouse, man, a yeah. world powerhouse. Uh, just by sheer will like and just making the stuff happen like even before the great unmasking when they freely started trading with other places they were still able to be successful for a hundred years for a whole century yeah. of yeah. just by being sneaky like, it's pretty cool that's yeah, really cool. cool all right i like that we're talking on? about bravos after volantis yeah yeah, it's, it's a nice uh, palate cleanser. Absolutely. Palate cleanser, it's also a good example of worst to best. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, sticking with Bravos, but talking about shipbuilding and banking. All right, two things for which they're very well known for. The quote being, Thus was born the Iron Bank of Bravos, whose renown, or infamy, to hear some tell it, now extends to every corner of the known world. Kings, princes, archons, triarchs, and merchants beyond count travel from the ends of the earth to seek loans from the heavily guarded vaults of the Iron Bank. I mean, Bravos is protected enough by its location, hidden in the mists, tucked down in that northwestern corner of Essos in the mysterious lagoon 
but the true protection of Braavos lies in its massive and seemingly bottomless supply of ships. Constructed in the arsenal, a factory-like setup where every ship is built the same with specific crews specializing in specific ship parts, it's said that a ship can be completely constructed in one day's time in Braavos. One day. Uh, now, if you were to get past their expansive fleet, you'd still find a formidable challenge in crossing under the great titan of Braavos, the 400-foot-tall statue whose legs straddle the main entrance to the lagoon. A fortress in the shape of a man, the titan was sculpted over three generations and contains numerous murder holes and arrow slits to defend against foes, as well as fire beacons for eyes to light the way for incoming ships, of which there are many who come to trade. But, and perhaps in light of these defenses, no one has even attempted to provoke the titan's wrath since the Century of Blood. Uh, this may also be due to the tremendous influence Bravos has over the known world's wealth. The Iron Bank of Bravos grew from a few fugitives, few fugitives hiding their treasure in an abandoned mine, to arguably the most powerful bank to be found anywhere. Leaders and rulers come from all over to seek loans from the Iron Bank, and for the most part, the bank has the capital to be open-handed. However, it is as infamous as it is famous for its collections department. Uh, the Iron Bank will have its due, it is said. There even being rumors of assassins being de deployed to topple entire regimes who stand in the way of, of them getting that due. All in all, um, Bravo seems pretty put together. I mean, it's pretty awesome. Uh, one cause for concern is that the city is literally sinking under its own weight. Uh, it's built on tiny islands with canals as roads, numerous bridges, pools, fountains, and enough food in all these bodies of water to feed the city's inhabitants and leave plenty left over for trade. But the ever-growing weight of architecture and people is taking a toll on some areas of Bravos. There's one section known as the Drown Town that's already halfway underwater. So, I mean, a little cause for concern there. Uh, they need to find a way to lighten things up a bit. But, I mean, all in all, Bravos is, is pretty put together. So that's all for this section. Let's talk about some of this stuff. Yeah, some good stuff, man. I want to see the Titan of Bravos take a drop of deuce. Like, just, like, roll a boulder right out its ass onto a ship. <laughs> the murder hole. <laughs> that's what I want to there, see. The, the there's murder, murder holes, hole. and there's it's the, like the murder, murder hole. <laughs> Uh, I mean, funny that you and I both have notes on 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 that kind of thing. My note was is if you sail under the Titan of Bravos, can you look up and I mean is 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 everything there under his yeah under his it, skirt? Yeah, is it anatomically accurate? Are there yeah. are there are there crevasses? Are there uh -huh. crevices in there? Or <laughs> what, uh, what's going on? Of course, that's the first thing you and I talk about in the Titan of Bravo <laughs> section. <laughs> Well, let's 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 raise the bar a little bit. The art <laughs> on page two seventy two and two seventy three, uh, depicting the Titan of Bravos is fantastic. It's, it's maybe pretty, my pretty favorite cool, illustration right? in the book. Uh, you get a wow, good sense really? for exactly how protected Bravos is. Um, it's just beautiful. Yeah, and there's other. Excuse my yawn. Uh, there's okay, other. 
There are other entrances to the lagoon, as you can see on the map, but it seems like, at least from the map, that there's little forts kind of stationed at the other entrances, um, but they're much smaller and and definitely the not of, of uh, the Titan of Bravos worthy of protection. So, Yeah, it seems, seems like anyone attacking would, would use any other uh, avenue to do it. I mean... I don't know. I wonder a little bit like how effective those murder holes and stuff would be if the art is accurate on page 272 because they're so far away. Like, you can't aim properly to hit somebody. And, like, once you do it, kind of, I don't know, are you out? And more ships are going to get through. I don't know. It seems like it would be an effective uh, an effective deterrent for a small number of ships, but not for, like, the whole fleet. Right. Yeah. You definitely... It be better to just be dropping things down but. yeah it, it's it's one of those things where like it, it's just a pity we're not probably going to see bravo's attacks in the main storyline because i would love to read that chapter i'd mm-hmm. love to read about the fortifications and how they defend themselves and what the arsenal can do and yep the titan drop I mean, it's reduce. it's a whole fortress from its murder hole yeah yeah hmm the arsenal itself is, I mean, as somebody that works for a manufacturing company, essentially, um, I work for the software arm, but just truly impressive kind of the way they've done. I mean, they basically have assembly line level creation of ships, um, skilled laborers creating the parts ahead of time, and then skilled laborers assembling them, uh, you know, to deliver that ship a day kind of average. I mean, they, they can basically build a bigger fleet in two months than any other place has at all really Mm -hmm. it's impressive it's very impressive and i wonder if it's even exaggerated like is that even possible to build a ship in a single day but i mean well they have there's that note when um uh when septon barth goes to visit the sea order bravos uh to negotiate on behalf of jaharis in fire and blood he saw it done Uh, right he well, he says he, he's like, I'm sorry, we destroyed your army or your fleet. Barth says that, and the sealer says, Ah, just I replaced those ships already. Yeah, like MBD. He's <laughs> he's not worried about them at all. It's like, well, th- those are their commodities. Those those ships were replaced by lunchtime the next yeah, day. Like basically, that was our, our our morning shift got those put together. Yeah, I mean they're just it's so impressive. Yeah. You know, it made me wonder why this whole idea, you mentioned it, kind of the assembly line factory type way of putting things together hasn't been like why some enterprising Bravosi hasn't recognized the value in doing that in other industries in Bravos. Like you could have, there's a whole industrial revolution like simmering in Bravos that's just waiting to be capitalized upon. Yeah, it's true. It's like a whole the idea whole, uh, of idea yeah, to, to expand to other industries. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, you wonder the, the maester here in, in, indicates very strongly that Old Town is awful at building ships compared to these guys. Uh, right. Which is funny. We know that they're building ships now uh, and trying to protect their own their own sound. We also know that that Wyman Manderley is doing the same. Although we get the uh-huh. impression that he's been more successful. I don't think he's building ships as as impressive as these. But you get the impression that he's kind of 
well, e- even the way they kind of define the protection and stuff, it feels like he's trying to, you know, draw from some of their lessons in Bravos. Mm-hmm. Well, that that would be the first thing that I would do is like, okay, we need to find out how they do this. Uh, yeah, we need to sneak some, even if it's just resorting to almost spying, we need to sneak someone in there and get the lay of their land and how they do stuff because that's yep. pretty impressive. But. Yeah. Um, yep. There was there was one quote in here that I had a question about. Uh, mm-hmm. It's referring to the the Titan, and it's and the defenses, and it says enemy ships can easily be steered onto the rocks by the watchman inside the Titan. Is that like is that like the old uh, the lighthouse trick of like you know go this way, go that way? Or are they talking about something else? I don't know. I don't know what that means. That's the impression that I got, but then yeah. I wonder how they would do that. Yeah. Because the the beacons are set, they're in their eyes. Yes. Like, how would they mislead them? Right. Yeah, that, that's what I wondered too. Anyway, it's okay. It's not important, I guess. It's just a yeah. a piece that stuck out to me. Like, how would they do that? Uh huh. Um, Maybe the like... bank bothers me a little bit. Okay. Just the the collection arm, like you said. Like they're clearly in cahoots with the faceless faceless men. It's very unsavory, in, in in a in a society that feels just kind of like they're doing all the right stuff. The bank feels bad. Is it one of those things where it's like if we let one guy get away with, you know, late payments, we lose all credibility? Yeah, probably. But I mean, they're making aggressive loans. Mm-hmm. Right, like you know, going back to our fallout in two thousand eight, like a lot of those loans should not have existed. They shouldn't be loaning money to the Iron Throne when they do an analysis and see that they're in dire straits and won't be able right. to pay back and have no intention of paying back. Yeah, you're right. It is super underhanded that they'll go in then and they'll topple regimes and assassinate and and cause all this upheaval in any given place just to get their money back yet they're staunch non-slavery right (laughs) yeah right (laughs) which is good i mean i mean yeah stick with the non-slavery thing but then they're turning around and doing something else that's that's can be considered quite immoral as well so yeah anyway just doesn't sit quite right with me that the faceless men never sit quite right with me and oh they my poor, yeah, they probably my poor girl aria is stuck with them holy they cow probably shouldn't. all right let's move on to religious and bravo religion and bravos then descended from a hundred different peoples the bravosi honor a hundred different gods they do so despite the sinking that matt alluded to at the end of the last section it's a city full of beautiful architecture uh, from the Sea Lord's Palace to the many, many temples that dot the Isle of the Gods, towers of the noble families. There's a Hall of Justice there that's beautiful. It, it's, it's, it also has a functional aqueduct, which is impressive. So not uh-huh. just beautiful architecture, but functional architecture. Um, then, of course, there's always the standard places in a city. Taverns, brothels, guild halls, and such. Um, there is a, there's a sept. There's a temple of the light. 
There's a temple for the Father of the Waters, which is something I don't think I had heard about until now. I didn't check, but I don't mm. remember hearing about it. Uh, the aforementioned Temple of the Moonsingers, which is, I think, the biggest Temple of the Moonsingers in the world. Um, mm-hmm. On the Isle of Gods th- itself, there are a hundred different temples for the different gods worshipped in Bramus. So they take it seriously. They are they want everyone to feel like they can get represented here. Um, it's important to them. Uh, in addition to the freedom for religious worship, they also have a fine tradition of courtesans, courtesans, and brothers. Now, these are free women, so these are not the, uh, this is not the prostitute trade uh, that you find in, in Westeros or other places, Elise. Um, these are free women, sometimes providing companionship in addition to or, or even separate from sexual acts. They're, they're basically worshipped public figures, if I'm reading it right. Uh, the wealthy and talented seek their favor. Bravos uh, duel for their love. The most beloved of the courtesans these days are the Black Pearls. Um, they're, this is an interesting story. They're, uh, <laughs> the original Black Pearl was one of the many paramours of Aegon the Unworthy. That's Aegon IV. Uh, mm-hmm. She bore a female child from Aegon. Uh, who became the next Black Pearl. And that tradition has just continued as a hereditary title through the years. Now we're only talking, you know, five or six of them probably since they've gone the fourth. But uh, very interesting that they've got this kind of thing going on as a hereditary thing. Yeah, and powerful then women. Yes, very much so. And respected and loved in society. Uh, very different, very progressive compared to the way most of well, for sure, all of Westeros treats their sex workers, right? Um, then there's the Bravos. So forget the Claymore, the Broadsword, Bow and Arrow, long, Longbow. These water dancers wield lightning quick blades. Uh, they're very light and lightning quick. The best of these fighters become the first sword of Bravos, uh, commanding the Sea Lord's personal guard and protecting the Sea Lord himself. And they serve for life. But there are lots of these dudes wandering around um, and, and, and embracing this style of swordsmanship. And lastly, we, talk, we get a little section about the Faceless Men. Uh, you guys know who they are. We've read them a lot in the main series. They're assassins. Their roots are in Valyria, but really we don't know a ton. And we get almost nothing from this section about them. Very, very, very little. Um, but they're mentioned, so I thought I would. And that's about all I've got. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering why Sirio, who was the first sort of Bravos, didn't stay the first sort of Bravos, and I was trying okay. to find out if I could find out why he uh, he retired from that job, or if it was truly a retirement. But I have the same it sounded note. Like it was kind of a position that once you got, you held on to, and obviously yeah, you served. They serve for life, it says, and yeah, he did not. Um. There is some note in there about, you know, some, uh, let's see if I can find the note. Um, inevitably, there, inevitably, there are always those who wish to cut that life short to effect some change in policy. Um, I don't know what that means, but it sounds like different sea lords sometimes make that not so much so for life. Hmm. Either via killing them or demoting them and 
you know, sending them away, which is what I'm imagining happened to Syria. But I had the same question. Well, you know, why did we? We don't know. Uh, we don't know. Hmm. Uh, the name kind of, of water dancers kind of comes from uh, the idea that true water dancers can fight and kill upon the pool's surface without disturbing the water itself. Crazy. Yeah. I love these guys. This is, uh, you know, these are like the Wesleys, um, the Inigo Montoyas of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this. Yeah, style. the Princess Bride is definitely what I think of the fight on the Cliffs of Insanity, which to this day is probably my favorite sword fighting scene ever. It's up there. But it's up there. Yeah. I can't think of one I like more. A sword fighting but, scene? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's some I mean, good mixed, stuff in Lord of the Rings, but mixed with the humor of the, and the conversation yes. going on and the the acrobatics and it's all it's just fun. But yeah. Uh But yeah, very cool. To me, Bravos come off I think they'd come off to me as either super cool, like Serio, like mysterious and really like quick of yeah. sword, but also of mind and everything and very or confident like, or super or like annoying. Douchey. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. big time bros, like the really, young bravos man? coming up. It's really? Like, you're going to be yeah. a bravo this month? All right, fine. <laughs> Go have fun. Come back when you're bored. And just like constantly fighting over the, for the honor of the courtesans and yeah. stuff and how yeah. they say they do. And I think that would just get super annoying to me. But yeah. the old timers sound awesome. Do you think Jaharis looked at the uh, Bravosi aqueduct for inspiration? You have to wonder because it's quite the feat. It runs from yeah. mainland Essos across into the sea and over into the lagoon. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So. yeah. It's pretty cool. And and Jaharis accomplished a similar thing, bringing the uh, fresh water to King's Landing for their fountains and such. Mm-hmm. And we know that, yeah. we know that Barth was sent there. I wondered if can't remember the timing whether that was before or after he built the built the uh the water coming in through the city when bark mm-hmm. sure yeah that that's just that goes to show so much of how that that diverse slave population really benefited the city what became bravos i mean you it, know going it made them absolutely you go back to volantis and talking about how the slaves each had specific fun- functions that ended up being tattooed on their faces. But yeah. when you have a specific function, you get very good at that specific function because that is your life, right? And so yeah. you, and what you end up getting is from skilled laborers to teachers to whatever, you get all of those uh, diverse different skill sets together in one place all united under freedom man you're gonna get so much that's so cool man i, can't, I love it it's just but, such a cool story but to, can you imagine all, like i can't i can't imagine what it would be like to be a slave but like i i can i can imagine some of those people like imagine you're a cook or mm-hmm. no let's say you're one of the elephant shit shovelers right mm-hmm Mm-hmm. No, that's not a good translation. 
let's let's say let's say you're a cobbler or you're a slave cobbler right okay okay you're, you, you're uh you're, third time's the charm scatty okay third time's the charm and you do this and you're a slave and you're forced to do it do you want to uh-huh. do it when you get to bravos or do you want to be like i was meant to bake man i don't want to do that or do yeah. you think all of a sudden you're doing it for yourself and you're like i have this skill i'm proud of that skill and i can help my city Probably some of each, I guess. There's probably a little bit of each. It's like, because when when you're forced to do it, it's one thing. But when you realize that you're bringing value to this new society, yeah, then it's like, I can and even do to this. yourself. You're benefiting right. now instead of right, and you're building something because yeah. of it. You're building something great, not only in society but a life for yourself, right? And. Yeah. All of a sudden, you can teach that skill to your children, and they're going to grow up living in a society where they can be successful doing that. But at the same time, if you want to go off and try something else, now you have the freedom to do it. But its I think it's that opportunity to choose that matters. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Definitely. But it's like with our kids, right? If you, if you tell them to do something, they're <laughs> never going to do it. But if you give them the opportunity to choose it over something else, then... <laughs> all of a sudden it might seem more appealing to them but my kid my my youngest pippin he was <clears throat> struggling with an assignment for school where all he had to do was write a single sentence about uh-huh. something that happened in this story uh-huh. and he was just for whatever reason he was tired or like beaten down or whatever he just couldn't do it he's like i don't know and so i'm like all right well, let me tell you what I remember. I remember that the big bad wolf had caught the pigs. And he's like, no, no, he didn't catch the pigs. I'm like, all right, well, go write that then. It's just like, because I knew the story, right? I right. listened to yeah. it also. And uh, it's not the story you're thinking of, the obvious one. Uh, but But like all he needed was just like, a little bit of like, yeah, this is my thing and I own it. Mm-hmm. I corrected you and right. some yep. sort of ownership of it, like these people mm-hmm. would get when it's their own yep. skill, you know? Yep. Yeah, there's tremendous value in that. So Shall we move <sighs> on? You got anything else? Should we move on to old Valeria? I don't have anything else. All right, so we're gonna jump in now and talk a little bit about old Valeria. And just, you know, we it's really weird because the Targaryens kind of run the show in Westeros and they're kind of the only, well, one of the few Valyrian bloodline families left, uh, unless you count, you know, very, uh, in the Harry Potter phrase, mudblood type versions on lease and <laughs> in, the, in the free series, uh, free cities. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to talk about talk a little bit about Valyria, even though we don't know a lot so we're going to start talking about dragons and this this was a topic proposed by matt what was special about valerians in terms of harnessing dragons now do you want me to answer that or do you want to answer that i want us both to answer it but yeah, yeah. the the idea behind the question was that we've got record of dragons going back as far as a shy and talking about like there was a they there's legend of a 
<clears throat> ancient race of people in Ashai or in the areas around Ashai who were able to kind of harness and tame dragons. But yep. like, then we've got dragons all over the world. Remains have been found up by Ib, or remains in Westeros, uh, all over the place. But what was special about Valyrians, right? Do you have any ideas? I have ideas, but you and nor the fandom are going to like them. Ooh. Nothing. What else? Honestly, nothing. I think nothing is special about them. Okay. I think, I, I know I'm alone also, but you know how I feel about the whole blood thing. You know how I feel about the, you know, the doctrine of exceptionalism, how special they are and all these things. I don't believe in any mm -hmm. of that shit. And mm -hmm. I believe basically that somebody came from a shy and taught them kind of the secrets to do this. And basically it's not that complicated other than bonding with the fucking animal as it's growing up <laughs> and, you know, teaching, teaching it to, to be your friend and that that's really all it takes. And that they learned how they protected the resources, the eggs and the dragons themselves and kept them to themselves and the knowledge to do it and made it seem like a big secret and a big special thing they can do just so that it seems like no one else can do it. And they protected it and made it their own. And that's my take, and I'm sticking with it. So if some schmo from E.T. were or to grab a dragon egg, if as long as he bonded with that, he could potentially be a dragon rider. I think so. Yes. I, 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 but 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 so much so much is so much is hidden in the heritage and the confidence mm -hmm. and the know-how and the this is how you do it. That it's not as simple as just like anyone could find an egg and do it. You have to have the knowledge and the know-how and the best ways to do it and the, be the best ways to be successful. And in some ways, like that is that is hereditary because you get trained and you learn and you see and you understand and you have the touch. And mm -hmm. so, so it's it's not that there's it's not that there's nothing special about the way they've cultivated it. They've cultivated it like an industry an industry that they control. But I don't think there's anything special about them as people. About inherently special about Targaryens. And, and to about Valyrians. There, uh, Valyrians. And, and uh, I know, I know I'm yeah. a minority in the fan base on this, but that's the way I feel. Well, you know, there's the points to the Targaryens being unable to hatch dragon eggs, which sometimes the response to that is, is by that point, they weren't pure-blooded Valyrians. Uh, anymore so they'd mixed with other houses and everything so they mm -hmm. weren't successful but it could have just been simply a matter of knowledge being lost now you're talking knowledge in terms of like how to care for the egg and, yeah and everything before it even hatches any of that yeah but also yeah. you know it, um you know like facebook you go on facebook and, and everybody's telling all these great stories about the good things they did and nobody's telling the story about how, you know, their kid won't open the door for them. <laughs> you know, like nobody <laughs> tells the bad stories. Lives. They tell the good yep. ones. Maybe half uh -huh. the eggs in Valyria didn't hatch. You don't tell that story. You tell the one about the one that did and grew up and the became a fearsome yeah. beast. And that's how that's how you create this culture of success is you don't share the failures. And maybe maybe the Targaryen level of success is the normal level of success and the and dance of dragons were... 
peeled out too many of them, and they just didn't didn't do it properly after that. They weren't yeah, so there were ex- exponen- exponentially more eggs back in the yes in the glory days of Valyria. Maybe one out of a hundred hatched. Like we don't know. But they had thousands, so it was okay. But they had, yeah, they had thousands, so it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting theory that I hadn't read until recently, and I came upon it kind of by accident, of um, a, a, a reader postulating that Valyrians had learned how to basically skin change into dragons. Mm. And it was a way of them living their second life in a dragon, much like Faramir Sixskins was talking about in his prologue chapter. So like if a Valyrian is getting ready to die, they go and live their second life in a dragon that then stays kind of in that family. So like uh, Balerion, the Black Dread, presumably by this theory, thousands of years ago however old he is was second lifed into by a targaryen ancestor and that's why balerion is can be harnessed by these targaryens or, or tamed by them and and bends to their will and is loyal to them and because this because the human soul the valyrian soul inside the dragon is in control and bending the mind to be like, yeah, let that Targaryen ride you. Yep, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of like this dragon and Targaryen minds together inside of them, and it is an interesting. So, so do multiple well do multiple but... do multiple Valerians try to get into the same dragon? Valerian lived for hundreds of years. Did multiple right. dying Valerians, Targaryens specifically, I suppose, try try to skin change into that dragon and are there several personalities in there like rogue that's a good question and and i didn't i didn't uh i didn't if it is mentioned in the theory i didn't read it closely enough i kind of kind of skimmed yeah i'm not much of a theory reader but i came across this one and maybe i'll link to it in the notes for this episode because it, it was really well researched and uh compelling in some ways I don't know if there's enough evidence to go, yeah, that's what's going to happen. But I guess that's kind of what a theory is supposed to be, right? Yeah, Um, sure. But it was pretty compelling. And he even talks about how it it doesn't have to necessarily be the the, the member of Valyrian blood and everything and goes so far as to postulate that the reason that Drogo, Khal Drogo, was comatose at that point was because he had basically skin changed into... Drogon's dragon egg and is living a second life in Drogon. And that's why Drogon is so similar in personality. Why to would Drogo have the power to do that? That's, I should have read it more closely if I'm talking about <laughs> it, but I'm sure it's at least mentioned in the, uh, in that theory there. I'd like to read it, but my respect for Drogo is just about zero, especially mentally. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I doubt he figured that out. But. I think it was. I don't think it was something that he actually figured out. I, I think it was something that. Oh, that like through the ritual or something. Maybe. The rituals for the Mary Monster, and they talk of. There's also another part to the theory of 
that it requires the reason that's so hard is not only is it skin changing, but it requires life in order to take that life. And the, the postulation that the reader makes is that that's when, when Drogo was second lifed into the hatchling Drogon, the hatchling's essence was transferred to a life, which in this case was baby Rhaegal. Rhaegal or Rhaegal? Rhaegal. Rhaegal. And that's why Rhaegal was born dead and deformed, but with dragon features. Huh. So, I don't know. It's, it's I'm interested in reading but... it, but man, it feels yeah. thin. It's There's some parts that are like, oh yeah, cool. And then there's other parts that are like, eh. I don't know. It sounds like a lot of interesting connections, at least. Yeah, yeah. it is be, very like thematic uh, up with text. It's got lots of quotes to back up what he's saying yeah. and everything. So it was, you know, in terms of the way theories go, it was I think well researched and well thought out. Even if even if you feel it's likely or not, but anyways, so right. props to. I don't. I'm sorry, I don't have the user's name down here. I'm talking about it, and I should have at least wrote his name, his or her name down, but I don't have it. Anyway, we'll get it in the notes. I'll link to it in the notes for sure. Anything else on dragons and what's special about Valerians? Nah, but I kind of, I like what you said about it just being knowledge that they had gained and held on to because knowledge is power, man. And you want to be selfish with that. If you want to stay in power. Yeah. I, I know it's not going to be a popular opinion. I'm sure. I'll be flaming for it, but uh, all right. You want to talk slavery? Man, We've already done so thing. quite a bit in this episode. Yeah. The the main point that I came to with the whole slavery thing with the Valyrians, and it's talked about in this text, it's kind of mentioned in passing in a sentence, that it got to the point where Valyrians needed slaves so badly because they were dying off so quickly in the mines and everything that the whole reason the Valyrians were continuing to conquer the known world was just for more slaves to work their minds. She's like, well, we need new slaves, so go conquer somewhere else just to get some slaves and bring them back here. Yeah. And, and that's pretty terrible, man. It's awful. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing the way you've noted it. Um, that, you know, literally the only reason they grew as an empire it seems as so they could keep pulling shit from their mountains. Yeah. And then the, the people uh, yeah. to keep dying what I wrote to do down it. was the growth of their empire was fueled simply by the need to restock their slave supply. It's, it's just greed. And, uh -huh. you, and uh, not to disgust or titillate anyone uh, listening, but I started thinking about this in the shower this morning, uh, this question. And <laughs> I was like, man, Whatever happened to Hobbit values? Like, did, why did these Valyrians just be like, man, we've got it good. Yeah. Let's settle down and smoke some weed and and garden and hang out a little bit. Like, what, what drives you to need to pull every ounce of tin from a mountain or gold or whatever? Yeah. Right? Ask the ask the dwarves in Moria, I guess, if we're gonna stick. You no, know, you're you're yeah, you're, yeah. you're stealing my thunder here. 
Okay. For the next point. No, no, it's good. Back uh, we're on the same page. No, no, don't back <laughs> off. It's just the, the second part of this question was the, the part I note about slavery, which is, yeah, you know, the movement of how slaves got from A to B, who chose which one they went where. Um, actually, actually, no, my, the point about Mori is later. It's, it's on, it's on the later question. About on the, the doom. doom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but um, you had asked, uh, how did they distribute these slaves? Was it like every yeah. house got some, or? Well, and you mentioned earlier in the episode that that it feels like Valeria was a place of of conflict and like you know constant pecking order, and you didn't say that exactly, but I think you were mm-hmm. implying like it was just a place of unrest at. and. Mm-hmm always struggling and fighting amongst each other and infighting. Mm-hmm. And maybe a, a, a good chance that was over slavery. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if your entire goal is I need to get every ounce of gold from this mine and this rival family found this great group of Sarnori that are tall and strong and can reach way down in and, you know, aren't you jealous and don't you want to go get those slaves yourselves and don't you want to fight for them? So like, and they've got aren't a, they, they've aren't got they a two month shelf life instead of one life. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't they competing against each other for the same quote unquote, I can't believe I'm calling them this, but quote unquote resources as slaves. That's what they were to them. Yeah, they were. Yeah. And, and you know, like it, it makes me think like it couldn't have been like if it were that way, if it were so contentious, they could they would have eaten themselves alive from the inside a long time ago. So I'm actually thinking maybe they had some sort of unified approach to slavery. Where like mm. a percentage went into some common pool that everyone got or something. Right. Yeah. You know, like where they were working together because otherwise you'd have like dragons fighting dragons. We were here first to, to get these Dothraki slaves. That kind of thing, right? Yeah, if it was like I hate to make light of of slave trade, but if it was like some sort of like draft lottery almost, where okay, yeah. it's this family's turn to pick, and then it's this family's turn to pick, and then it's this family's turn to pick, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we need to be very careful not to make make light of it like that at all, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. but 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 yes, was it some sort of okay? We're going on this very expensive raid to get more slaves. So that we can pull more riches out of our stupid frickin' mountain, uh, we all get some. So yep. everyone lend one dragon, and we're gonna go round some up, right? And they'll be ours collectively, and we'll split them up. Ugh, I can't believe we're talking about it. It sounds so awful. I hate it. Yeah, it's just it's terrible that the Valerians have this reputation of being so mysterious and interesting, and when it comes they down aren't. to it, they're, they're just awful. They're awful. And look, absolutely okay. awful. Now sure, they have real purple trouble. eyes and silver hair, but they <laughs> suck. Now they I'm going to get in real trouble. But the Targaryens are the same way. They may not be slavers, but they are elitist a-holes that don't care absolutely. anything at all about the small thing. It's one and of the biggest when, parts of Fire and Blood. Absolutely. The themes and of Fire when, and Blood. In, in, the small, in the fights that I got in about, about Targaryens during... The Song of Madness. This is the point where I I stop. I didn't want to get into it, so I didn't bring it up. But it's like they, by and large, the Targaryens are bad people. 
Mm-hmm. You can count just, the good eggs. See what I did? Yeah, there, there are on one there hand. are exceptions. There are exceptions. One hand, but maybe by you bleed large, on the two hands. But... Yeah, by mm-hmm. and large, they're bad people that yep. don't want the best for others, and that's all it takes for me to not like a family. But by and large, they're not they're not good for the continent, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Anyway. anyway, you got anything else on slavery? You want to move on to the doom? Let's talk about the doom, man. All right, you tell me what caused it. The big ago. question. The big question. What are some of the? Uh, let's let's review some of the things that the the good maester brings up. He talks about how uh, there were one of the big one of the ones that I thought was interesting was saying that there were uh, so much magical resources were devoted just to containing the fires in Valyria the volcanoes and keeping them from erupting that the constant infighting killed off many of those sorcerers and people and and people who could do those types of things to the point that they couldn't contain the fires anymore and it just went just went kablooey uh what else what were some of the other things but i don't remember yeah, I'm trying to find it now, the section. But essentially, um, others were that they awoke, this was similar to the Minds of Moria thing, they awoke some power, they went too yeah. deeply and set something off. <clears throat> that's um, that's where I am. Uh, I, my, my take is that, is exactly what you said, dwarves delved too greedily and too deep. I think they broke something. Whether whether it, it caused a volcano chain reaction, right? And whether that was they just exceeded what the magic could hold back, you know, like they went past the barrier that they had set up of, of magical control or the surface area, the, the area, the surface tension of the area they were they were mining got too great and the magic couldn't contain it anymore. I'm not saying there was no magical element because clearly pretty much everyone agrees there was some magic going on there. Uh, sure. But I think greed is what really got them. Yep, I think it's definitely a cautionary tale in that regard. Um, one thing I, as I was trying to think about this, I tried to step back and just like think about it. Was I came back to Summer Hall, and yeah. the tragedy that happened there with the burning and everything. And so, you know, we mentioned before the massive amount of dragon eggs that could potentially have been in Valyria, and uh, I wonder if. If it was an enemy of Valyrians, you know, it's rumored that the faceless men had a part in setting off the doom. If they found a way to summer haul a bunch of dragon eggs and that that did it, mm-hmm. um, ca- causing a train chain reaction that with all those dragon eggs going up, that it just yeah did, did everything. But um, yeah, it's definitely have to be something magic. Uh, the faceless men, it seems like. They claim, um, they claim, they kind of claim credit. There's that aria too in A Feast for Crows. The kindly man says, when he's telling the story of the first faceless man who killed the slave in the Valerian mines, and Arya yep. says he should he should have killed the masters. Yeah. And the kindly and the kindly yeah, man yeah, yeah. says he, he would bring the gift to them as well. But that is yep. a tale for another day, one best yep. shared with no one. Yeah. So. No, you're right. Seamless. Yeah. 
it feels for sure like that's what they're talking about that they were mm-hmm. a catalyst at least of that and who knows what it was that they did um but it is the remember this kindly old man he is a faceless man who's biased and is maybe taking credit for something that <laughs> he might not taken credit for but uh who knows yeah but you know really you know what i found about people that want to take credit for things they didn't do they're mm-hmm. very loud about it <laughs> and instead he's saying ah, you know what like another time maybe or maybe not because nobody this little knows. girl yeah you're not ready for this yet yeah that's a good point. and also we shouldn't tell anybody mm-hmm. and so it kind of it kind of does add up a little bit and and who knows what role exactly they played and you know maybe they just kind of pushed it along but um it definitely feels to me like something where you you mentioned the, the term cautionary tale I think we're meant to feel, I, I feel, I don't know, we're not meant to feel that way. I feel like they got what they deserved. This was a corrupt, okay. rotten way to live, and they got what was coming to them. I mean, even in... Not that I'm, not that I'm big on, you know, global scale retribution, but... Hey, man. They were awful. That's even, that's even in Christianity. You know, God got to a point where he's like, people are too wicked. We're just going to wipe them all out with a flood, except for you, Noah. We're going to keep you around, and uh, we're just going to start over. Um, and I'm not really big on that either. But, <laughs> I know. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, I know it's, it's a the theme idea. among religions everywhere, right? right? Um, yeah, for sure. What was I going to say? Something about Dragon Faceless Men. And yeah, it fits Faceless Men being, you know, being big in Bravos and Bravos finally getting their kind of revenge. Uh, I don't know. We think about uh, another candidate that comes up in Doom Talk is the Children of the Forest. You know, if they were powerful mm-hmm. enough to separate, um, to, to destroy a whole swath of land. Yeah. Back when they separated the continents um but what's the motive the to do that to valerian the stepstones <laughs> one motive could just be that valerian expansion was so rapid and quick that they wanted to get ahead of that yeah uh, i don't know I, I yeah i can see that i tend to think of the the children as like hippie weed smoking nature lovers that don't have their eyes on it totally and it's like, how would they even be aware of it? Maybe through the Weirwood Network? I don't know. but Kind of like the Ents. It's like they're mm-hmm. just doing their thing. And it We're took here. some random event, like two, like Mary and Pippin, my kids, wandering into their circle and being like, hey, did you know Get this is happening? Yeah, for them to do saying. the, to do, for them to break the arm of Dorne, it was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, man, this is really bad. Let's do this. And so and then and they did it. And I haven't read too much into the theories and the responses to the theories, but I imagine that might be a common kind of rebuttal to the Children of the Forest one is, well, why? Why yeah. would they do that? Yeah. Yeah. So. But, but, but there does feel like there's some sort of link between the Valerians and, you know, whether it's this old god thing we talked about or whatever, between the, or whether it's, you know, the others and, and the Valerians and, and then being counterbalanced somehow, even though the Valerians are nowhere near where the others currently are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get the fire and ice thing and the children of force are very much enwrapped in that. Um, 
wrapped up in that probably yeah i think they're it seems like we're heading to a point where somehow they connect yeah somehow they connect centuries and centuries and millennia and millennia somehow there was a point where there was a divergence but there's still a connection somewhere yeah hmm. well we'll leave it for bigger brains to figure that out man yep or we can just wait till the books come out just wait till wins comes out and, and who knows maybe george will never even address it <laughs> This is just maybe this please, is just what don't. happens please, when you've had almost don't. ten years to sit and ruminate on these things. Please don't say these things. I expected to tie up every thread, every single thing every little person has thought about <laughs> over <laughs> since 1993. Are we ready to sign off? Uh, I believe so. I was going to make some little point. Oh, it's silly. But um, I think I shared last cast about how one of my questions was we were talking about how in Cohor, Valyrian steel, the art of Valyrian steel yeah. is is known. And that's where it kind of still resides of reforging Valyrian steel, at least not creating it. Yep. Um, and there's a little passage talking in the part about the doom here in this chapter that talks about a Valyrian who was apparently in Cohor at the time the doom happened. His name was like Aurion or something, Aurion something. And that he was able to rouse a force of 30,000 troops or something like that to go march to Volantis or something and try to reestablish dominance as like the last remaining pure-blooded Valyrian king guy. <clears throat> and so to answer my question, small theory, how did Cohor get the Valyrian steel knowledge? I wonder if that was like one of their stipulations to this Arian guy of if you if we give you our troops, you have to give us this. Yeah, he gave him told him the secrets about Valyrian steel. I don't know. Silly thing. Not. Not something so, to end the cast. So Arion traded the secrets of Valyrian steel for troops. For troops. Huh. Interesting. He flew away on the back of his great dragon with 30,000 men following behind him. Mm-hmm. But neither Emperor Arion nor his host were ever seen again. Is it safe to go there now? What do you think? Oh, to go to Valyria? Part of me thinks Euron is completely full of shit. Sorry, <laughs> all of me thinks that Euron is completely full of shit. Uh, part of me thinks that a big part of that is that actually there's not a big deal with going to Valyria right now. That it's been 400 years and it's fine. We're that all fine. Maybe, how are you? Like the, sa- the sailor, we're fine here. Uh, yeah, how are you? We're sending a squad up. Um it seems like though that the sailors see like the mists and stuff like that and it gets scary, but maybe like if you get past that initial barrier yep. that it's yep. just like, things are fine. Oh, cool. There's like a spa here. I'm not saying it's like well off. Like it's probably overgrown and ugly and maybe it's mm-hmm. got chemical deposits and, you know, thing radiation and things like, but I don't think it's, 
like, I don't run think it's a by death demons spot. and yeah, yeah, no. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I I can see that. I'm I'm coming to terms with the fact that I have a lot of a lot of feelings about this stuff that are not widely held. Does anyone else raise their hands? Think your own is completely full of shit? Oh, I don't think you're the only one. He's so cool, but at the same time, it's like, okay, you say all this crap. He's you a snake oil salesman. Crap. He's mm-hmm. they they're rampant throughout history. Our own, not theirs. Anyway, that's where I land. Talk Sorry, to you, buddy. Sorry, Emmett. I'm down. All right. All right. We ready to sign off? Let's, let's be done for the night. We're loopy, man. We've been going for a long time with all the interruptions. We have. Um, <laughs> my, mine is simple. It doesn't really relate back to the episode, but it does relate to the times that we live in. Uh, one of the good quotes to come out of The Phantom Menace, sometimes George Lucas struck gold with some of his one-liners and everything. So this is Matt signing off reminding you that your focus determines your reality. Hmm. That's in the Phantom Menace. That's Qui Gon Jinn, man. Yeah, I mean, to Anakin. The... Remember, your focus determines your reality. Hmm. Uh, mine is uh, from Monty Python. Um, I have been watching on Netflix mm-hmm. the series, the documentary about Monty Python. Uh, which mm-hmm. is brilliant. If you like Monty Python, watch it. Uh, but it's just the simple, always look on the bright side of life. There's a lot of weird shit going on. I try to look on the positive side of every day. My family and I play a game every night that says, what, what was your favorite part of the day? We've been doing that for a long time, you know, outside of this Good. virus. But mm-hmm. um, try to look at the bright spots. Dark spots are many of these, these days, but look at the bright ones. That's it. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Be well, everybody. Be well. Be well. Good night. See ya. Bye. Silver hair and purple eyes, always on the go. Kicking with the sun and stars, call him Cal Drogo. She knows just where she gotta go and won't be tarrying. Look how Westerosa comes the nearest Targaryen. How did you feel about my idea of, like, rewriting the text? Like, reflavoring it? To do the reading? Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. I think I mean, I it'll, that it'll be short. It's not going to be like many yeah. minutes. It'll be like, mm-hmm. I don't even remember what it says. Like, he caved in his breastplate with mm-hmm. his hammer. And instead, I'll be like, he swung his mighty hammer and Rhaegar, you know, Matrix fainted, fainted out of the way. Just say he and, matrixed. And, That's and a his, word George would move. And Bar- Baratheon's weight <laughs> carried him into the trident where his armor sunk him, which was just the opportunity Rhaegar needed. You know, something, right? And I'm imagining make... Rhaegar just coming up behind him and just like two hand arms him. I'm thinking like two hands up in the air where you raise the sword in front of you and with oh. two hands and the blade pointing down like you're holding yeah, it yeah, yeah. with the hilt up high. And he just goes like right into yeah, the back of the Robert's neck. neck. Yeah. yeah. Well, Robert's still Gorgit. kind of face down. Yeah. 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 So something like that. And I'll just... Ooh, even actually even better would be face up like he's on his like robert's able to like turn himself around because robert's really strong right so he's in yeah. his armor and he like turns himself around but he's still like laying down 
yeah. and Rhaegar's just standing over him and just goes like right into his neck and Robert yeah. like chokes up the blood and stuff and yeah that'd be great <laughs> yeah so anyway uh, maybe I'll throw something together and then throw it over to you so you can like edit it and make it better <laughs> whatever I, I do have quite the imagination so that's yeah I heard you talking about that on the on the stream did you have fun on that stream by the way I had a lot of fun How about you yeah. yeah I had fun it's still kind of sometimes I sit back there going like, what am I doing being on a panel with these people? I know. <laughs> I know. I think the same way. I, I don't belong here. Yeah. Sit tight, Kalisar. Going to check to see if the wife's used all the bandwidth. Come on. Oh, oh hell. I know you want to hear me, Scott. I know you want to. I'm hearing little psh, psh, mm. psh. Mm-hmm. I know oh. you want me. Fucking Randall's Crevice. I know crevice. you do. Oh, great. No, I gotcha. Say again? I gotcha. Okay. You there? You cut out for a second. You did too. Did you hear everything I said about the car, the mortgage, credit card? I, car and mortgage was the last thing I heard. Oh, man. And then you cut out. It's choppy. And you'll hear in my audio, I said, fuck no. Yep. <laughs> Listen for that. Okay. <laughs> Hello? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. How's my voice? You sound great. Okay. I mean, it'll be a little muffled. It'll be a little different, but I think this will work. So I think it'll work, and uh, no one on the other end will know the difference until yeah. they listen to the outtakes. Max, did you just hang up on me? Hello. And now even our calls are dropping. Did you did you did you hang up on me or did it just drop or what? I as far as I know it just dropped. I don't think yeah, I hung okay. up on you. Well, great. Right. Great. <laughs> Lovely. Even our cell networks can't be trusted. Jeez. I th I think I think that's, you know, if I believed in the gods, Matt, I'd say that's the gods telling me we shouldn't even be covering this material. We should have moved on to what if. <laughs> But we're going to do it, man. We will uh, fight tooth and nail. We've been through worse. Mm -hmm.